This week on Security Weekly, Lance James joins us. We've got a technical segment about Tachyon.net, which <laughs> may not be the name of that project, but it's really cool, and, and Joff wrote it, which makes it even cooler. In our stories of the week, do we really know the cost of a breach? Also, Microsoft proves that backdoor keys are a terrible idea. Um, payment systems from Micros, owned by Oracle, are getting hacked, as well as Samsung Pay. We pontificate about how many zero days does Uncle Sam own. All that and more. So stay tuned. This is a Security Weekly production. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Weekly is brought to you by the SANS Institute, the most trusted source for computer security training, certification, and research. Visit SANS.org to explore the full curriculum and latest training offerings. Onapsys, the leading provider of solutions to protect ERP systems from cyber attacks. Customers can secure their SAP and Oracle business critical platforms from espionage, sabotage, and financial fraud risks. Visit them on the web at onapsys.com. Pony Express. Check out their line of penetration testing devices, including the Pwn Pad, the Pwn Phone, and the Pwn Pro. For enterprises, there's Pwn Pulse, providing continuous visibility into wired, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth spectrums across all physical locations, including remote sites and branch offices. For all those hard-to-reach places, there's Pony Express. Visit them on the web at PonyExpress.com. And here's your host. He's a man who... His tachyons ask him, why am I so sticky? Paul Asadorian. It's a very sticky situation. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to Security Weekly. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian. Very excited for this evening. We've got a packed show. As always, we have our guest in studio. But first, Mr. Larry Pesci, of course, Yay. in studio here with us this evening. Back again from DEF CON and Black Hat. Yes. Hacker World, Summer Camp. World Tour. and It was fun. It was. It was. It was never, never a dull moment. On the lines via Skype, Mr. Joff Thayer. Well, g'day, Paul and Larry and guest in studio. How are you this evening? It's good to be here on a lovely Thursday evening in the summer. We are fantastic, and Lance James has joined us in studio. Yes. Welcome, Lance, to the yes. show. It's wonderful to have you in the flesh. It's very nice. It's very yeah, nice. You're, yeah. very, you're very fleshy. I deal with it every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very fleshy. Already too much information, Lance. Already too much information. Very, very meaty. Is it a family show? Larry, do you have any announcements you're going to be teaching? Vegas in like three weeks for network security. Going back to yeah, Las Vegas. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, hey, Paul, that makes two of us. I will be at Vegas. You will be in Vegas right. also. That's yeah. right. Joff, we're going to have to go over to the Mandarin Oriental and go up to the bar at the, the roof there and have some nice cocktails. 
Absolutely. And make out. I mean, well, what? Well, of course. He said, I mean, he said cock. <laughs> Joff's going to ask, ask if I've got any Italian or uh, uh, Australian in me. And then, That's right. Do I want any? So Vegas and Hackfest. In Hackfest. That'll be a Hackfest. Hackfest.ca? No, DC. No, Hackfest.dc? Sans, Sans Hackfest. So Sans Hackfest. That's right. And Derbycon. I, ha- I have to ask a question. So we have Security Vegas Week, which is... Defcon Black Hat, and then we just have Hackfest after. It's just we go back. It's more. It's just yeah, more. Pretty much. Well, well so the Hackfest is DC, and Hackfest then but Sands oh. has a conference in Las Vegas. Oh, so you got to go to Vegas. Usually in September, yep. and a lot of us have to go. Have had to go back. I've ah. been to one year. Was it two years in a row that the Pentest uh, Summit way back on the day was in Vegas too? Yep. So there were years where I would take three trips out to Vegas. One for Hacker Summer Camp, it's you know, exhausting. Black Hat Defcon. <laughs> one for Sands regular training, and then one for the Pentest. Hacking. So I, think, I think it was a year I was in Vegas eight times. Wow. In wow. a one, in a one, you, year, in a one calendar year Then if you period. have a customer engagement in Las Vegas, you got to go back out to Las Vegas. Yep. The thing that I, I think the, what I noticed at Vegas, like uh, every year, we all need to learn sign language, by the way, as a group. Because they always put us hackers where all we want to do is talk to each other. Yes. And they put us yes. in these loud in rooms in yes. Vegas with like music pumping. Right. And I'm feeling like if we just learn sign language, we get two benefits. So, so we don't lose our all, voices at the we're end. We're all of the, texting of each other the, on our phones. Right. We're like, wait, yo, yo, yo. we do that? So we have some sign language. So I have some sign language that I learned at DEF CON. And I think this is... What does that mean? And then... I think that's helicopter poop. (laughs) (laughs) Fastback, though, I did learn. Okay, so I did learn that eyebrows matter when 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 um, uh, sign language. So eyebrows up is a question mark. Eyebrows straightforward is a demand. And my friend, he's uh, he's deaf, and he asked his wife to marry him, and she's deaf. And so it was like he he was nervous, so he forgot to put his eyebrows up. And when he asked her, it signed out as like "Marry me, woman." (laughs) And so she's like, "What?" And he goes, "Oh," and then he puts the thing up. So he tells me the story, but it was really. Need to learn like like that's like those little things important. Huh? Huh? So, yeah. Huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what if you only put one eyebrow up and the other one's straight? That's what I'm wondering. What what does that mean? Ambiguous craziness? Or? I mean, if you're that talented, I'm sure you could probably uh, invent your own dialect and and, and, and in sign language. Would, and anyone would marry you. <laughs> uh, just, <laughs> a quick announcement. Uh, speaking of Black Hat, we were at Black Hat. Well, I was at Black Hat. Uh, one of our developers, Katie, was at Black Hat. We had a booth. I wanted to thank everyone for coming by the Offensive Countermeasures booth uh, at Black Hat in Innovation City. It was fabulous seeing all of you. Thank you for your feedback on the show. Lots of people love the show. Lots of great feedback about Enterprise Security Weekly. Lots of people saying they're, they're just starting to listen to Startup Security Weekly. Um, some people were like, yeah, I knew you and John were like doing a thing, but I wasn't sure like what the thing was that you were doing. So you can email us, sales at offensivecountermeasures.com or visit our website at offensivecountermeasures.com. Fill out the contact form. And we're happy to meet with you and tell you all about it. So, with come on that, down to Innovation City. Well, we were the there. It was fun. The- it was fun. What did I say? It should be called Tomorrowland. I was like Innovation, to like Tomorrowland. And like <laughs> it kind of like is Tomorrowland, really. But that's a thing, a Disney thing. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Disney has expensive yeah, players. Yeah. Yeah. So Lance There's more James. than the trademark on the tachyon. Thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lance James is here with us. He's the chief scientist at Flashpoint, where he heads up research and engages in thought leadership. Ooh, Ooh I know, right? I sit around the, thinking and leading. Yeah, like thought. He, I mean, he's a bona fide thought leader. Wow. We should all bow or something. Yeah, I don't know, man. He's not internationally known, but known to rock a microphone. I mean, no, he is. <laughs> he is internationally known. <laughs> 
intentionally, <laughs> intentionally <laughs> internationally <laughs> renowned information security specialist uh, with 15 <clears throat> years of experience and one of the founding forces behind uh, Crypto Locker Working Group. Lance, it's wonderful to have you on yeah. the show. How did you get your start in information security? Um, I had a weird feeling you were going to ask me that today. So <laughs> I was eight and I met an Apple IIe. Um, so Holy I have, shit, dude. Me too. Okay. I was eight and I met an Apple are you an ado- Are you adopted? Because that would even be cooler, right? No, I'm not. Uh, are we, anybody? My anybody? Not anybody? Okay. So actually, this has to play with this because I've, I've actually studied how what drove me to get into it, right? So um, my the biggest hacks I have is reverse engineering my own brain once in a while. So... Um, so when I got into it, I was a musician. So I was five, uh, playing violin and piano at five, like serious wow. musician. Like, like, you know, like I was two and I wanted to play the violin, right? So that it, this whole hacker thing didn't even come to mind, right? So I was at a music camp um, in, at eight and I stayed with a family, right? So my parents were like doing this thing in Canada in the summer and they had their events and I'm staying mm-hmm. with this family. And um, I'm, 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 you know, practicing music, and I practiced a lot, right? And then it was funny because then I got like a, I f- the the family I stayed with. They had an Apple IIe, right? And I was just mesmerized. I couldn't get off the thing, <laughs> so it was a slight complaint because they were like, "Yeah, oh, Lance is being unusual. He's not practicing as much." <laughs> so did you write Hangman for it? Um, no, I played Hangman, yeah. but I did do something that was cool. So my parents ended up getting an Apple IIe because my mom's work just mm-hmm. by chance it was given to her, and it had the color monitor. The uh, Ooh, yeah, fancy. yeah, I didn't yeah, have color monitor. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, I had the green. It was green. The, the one I met yes. was green, yes. right? And I learned about Karate and all the cool games. And then I, I, I wonder, I've noticed though, everybody with an Apple IIe, all the adults even had pirating. Games. It was like all their games. Yeah. Were what, was the, what was the racing game? Uh, there was Wavy Navy. There was no the, the, the Hunter. The hunt. It's something. The yeah, the, the Spy Hunter. Spy yeah, Hunter. Spy Thank Hunter. Yeah, love yes. that game. And I played that on that. Yes. In order, this was in Oregon when I went to the camp. So, so then I come home. My parents got this like three thousand dollar Apple IIe IIe with yeah, the. Yeah, I expensive. had the original receipt from my parents bought mine used, yeah. and it was. I like still. My parents still have it. I'm trying to get them to deliver it to oh, me. Right. You're like, lucky. Yeah. See, I wish. So it had the five twelve accelerator car. Yes, I had one of those. Crazy. Okay. I snuck out under the Christmas tree. To steal a gift and open that up, and it was the five and twelve like accelerated cards, and I was still excited. Yes, that's how much of one started. So Sorry. cute story. So cute story. Oop. Oop. That's okay. All right, cool. You gotta give me the gun one. I just want to look you like, like this. Like, like the can, gun one is just like you know, psh, spy hunter, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so cute story. So being adopted, uh, I was adopted at two years old, which is a little bit different than being adopted like you know the minute you come out, right? Right. Uh, and it, and it plays to you know all the things that psychologists talk about in the abandonment issues and all these other things. But there's also something that comes with it. It's a protector instinct. So I was six years old. I was in Renton. Uh, I lived in Renton Park, which is like Renton, Washington State. Okay. You guys remember the Green River Killer? No. Okay, no. so it was a serial killer in the 80s, popular in Washington State. This guy finally got, I think, arrested like after 25 years of this crap. So like about a few wow. years ago, right? Some suburban dude just, you know, with kids and all that stuff. But the, my mom is Canadian, and she would watch the news all the time. And this actually is a stereotype in Canada. They like watching our American news. It's just like entertainment. <laughs> and so, well, it kind of is. <laughs> so what happened was I, would, I was kind of a loner, six-year-old, like five-year-old, six-year-old in kindergarten, right? And I kind of did my own thing, right? I was, I was the kid that wouldn't nap but go play with a record player in the kindergarten class or, or whatever. And so I was walking across the fence that we had on the perimeter of the, the school. And teacher comes up to me, and she's like, what are you doing? And keep in mind, I'm six. And this, my mom had to tell me a story. I don't remember this. So, and because my mom got a call from the teacher about it, <laughs> oh, so she's like, "She's like, what are you doing?" And I said, "I'm guarding the perimeter from the Green River Killer." And this is a six-year-old. <laughs> 
So this is what's in my head is I'm Maintaining I'm protecting. Yes. Yeah, and my son has this quality too. He, he, when he's he's just like, yeah, I want to be a police officer. He's got that protective quality, right? It's mm. just like a, it's kind of heartfelt and it's cool. So when I was eight and I met this computer, you know, hi computer, hello, hello world, hello computer. Uh, <laughs> I learned basic. <laughs> I, I grabbed the Apple IIe manual that my mom had on it, and I learned about X and Y plotting, which was moving the mouse and yes. joystick. And remember that square little joystick the, on the Apple yes. IIe? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up like I, I my I, there would be a, a get disc that I put in, and it had games. You type run hello, and it would yes. run the games, yes. right? And I wanted to do it where it's like for some reason I had that protective mindset, so I wanted to lock my games up, right? So I actually like learned basic when I was like eight, and I I put in there like you had to put in your right name. If, if it didn't know your name, it would go to my parents' stuff, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. interfere. Um, but if it knew my name, it would go to my games, right? And then, but before it did that, I also had it learn for passwords. So I learned the get car, actual basic, uh, Apple yeah, basic yeah, yeah, get yeah, car, yeah, 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 yeah. which is cool because actually technically it's a vulnerability in it because it'll, it, you don't have to press enter once you get the right password, right? Um, but I'm eight who, you know, you, you, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, right. You got to start somewhere. And then after that, it then had welcome to X-Men security systems, just needed some imagination. And then it would like circle the numbers. And so I had marked with lead the joystick with numbers. And I actually turned the joystick into a combination lock to unlock the actual wow. password because it was X and Y plotting, right? So I was just like, you know, hey, actually I could use this as that. So I went like one way, second way, and a third way, and then I get welcome to your games, Lance, right? And it was like really cool. So this was me at eight with this very protective detective. I was into like Encyclopedia Brown and like reading spy books and stuff like this. And so I had a very like this like, you know, intriguish nature and stuff. So it just kind of, when once you got a computer and you can program it, you can pretend whatever it, you want it to be. The so. world is your oyster. Correct. So that's how I got into it, right? And then, uh, and then uh, almost every high school year, I was getting you know bugged for in trouble for something. They were like, "We heard you cut the phone lines," or "We can't." You know, it's like, (laughs) what what did you get in trouble for? Um, I did change in seventeen. I changed grades and would charge money for it, and some kid ratted on me. Uh, Sixteen, it was cutting lines because my friend was going to skip, and so I shut the phone lines down. Did not realize it was hooked into the fire. Whoops! Uh, Things. Um, Fifteen, I think it was. I don't know if it was, what was that 15? I can't remember what it was, but it was like something I almost got in trouble with. Again, computer related. But I also ended up helping the computer class, so that was so cool. at what point did you start uh, being the good guy rather than... Well, <laughs> yeah, but about 18, because you get arrested for being the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. um, and two, in my head, I was still the good guy, right? You're just like, hey, yeah, you know, yeah. this is this. Um, again, I also had to go to uni- you know college and stuff. I was a violin performance major and stuff. I ended up not actually ever finishing it, but I, I, you know, I had to prep and do that. Um, so I would say... 18, 19, actually. So when I started my first company, Secure Science, I was 23. I was, uh, I had fishing was just starting to come out like a, and be popular against the mm-hmm. banks. And my friend Hikari, you know, from Tourcon, yep, the guy who started yep. Hikari, he introduced yeah. me to the San Diego FBI at the time. Mm-hmm. And because no one understood this stuff. And so I was like, I got to meet uh, this guy uh, and... Um, it was really cool because um, ended up like working together a lot on like cool cases like before anybody knew what was going on, and yeah. I got to be the cool. I mean, it feels good to be like rock star to the FBI in San Diego, and you're like, oh, this is cool. They trust me. And and back then it was very big deal because you're like, one, you didn't really do anything wrong, but you don't necessarily trust law enforcement either, right? Yeah. So it was it was kind of like this, like whoa, we're we're like coming together, but like you know, we Not even really. had it where we set up a 2600 versus uh, FBI paintball game. Yeah. Actually, it was, it was, uh-huh. so it was kind of cool in San Diego. 
I was doing my best to kind of like bring some of the FBI guys to the 2600 meetings and kind of, you know, hey, like, you know, there, it isn't a, as bad from my experience. I mean, it doesn't mean everybody's an individual, but it, it, in those experiences, I had a good time. So even early on, you, you seem to have recognized the importance of not just being technical, but the interpersonal skills as well. Yeah, interpersonal is everything, man. Social scientists, right? So um, that's just something, yeah, it's like one of the things I guess I'll, I'll go straight into now that I've learned. It's weird because I haven't realized until recently people keep bringing up hey my interpersonal skills and i call it nerd whispering right so yeah, I like yes. that. uh and when i worked at deloitte like i uh, speaking of that hi allison nixon hi allison and uh hi, she's allison. also a flashpoint yes yeah, so yeah we your, your your brand is for goat see stickers just to let you know the first thing they mention when i mention your name so, <laughs> <laughs> and i want some <laughs> right so um Yes. Uh, oh, next time I'll bring some. Next time I didn't yeah, know. I, I ran out. I don't know. I don't know how you run out of Goatsy stickers. I don't know where they ended up. I don't want to know. <laughs> so yes. So actually, no. That's the really cool thing about his leadership, right? So um, I've only learned myself lately. Like I, I, like I said, reversing engineering is my in my own brain. It's like it's. You ever have that where you're like, whoa. Every day you go, oh my gosh, you know, I just learned something I didn't know I could do or you can do. And this is a cool thing. This is the whole mm. art of hacking, right? It's, you're like, even if you're working on an exploit or you're working on this or whatever you're good at, you go, whoa, right? And you're always learning something. Well, in the same of the interpersonal side, it's always a cool whoa, right? You know, um, because the cool thing is, is again, and I, I think we had a conversation outside of here where we're talking about when you track down bad guys, it's not about bits and bytes anymore. And you have to be conscious of that, right? Mm-hmm. You change lives. You, you could, uh, you could affect people, right? And, and we're certainly obviously learning more and more how kinetics, cyber or, you know, computers are these days, um, and how connected it is. But the interpersonal side has been uh, very interesting because one of the things I guess it is is that it's a combination of <clears throat> utilizing empathy um, with kind of like the binary world, right? Because like obviously one's neat thing about the binary world is it's either off or on, mm-hmm. and the humans are like you know across the the span. Mm-hmm. So it's a very sure. interesting approach to take, um, and it's easy to really get caught up. For instance, I have a theory on. Kids that we keep labeling Aspergers, right? We keep calling saying hackers have Aspergers. It's not that. It's it's social development issues that we're on that all the time. We haven't even had a chance to mm-hmm. develop. It doesn't mean they're necessarily autistic or Asperger. Uh, if anything, sometimes there's a disassociation issue. There's an escape there. Mm-hmm. And we get caught up on the addiction of that escape. Not not necessarily, look, I can't socialize. It's just I've never done it because I've been on this computer. Yeah, and that's I've, the I've world so- I socialize. I've been socializing with a different mechanism. Right. And and those so mechanisms like, re- require along, inference. So. Along those lines. Yeah. We get the question all the time, like, how do I get started in the field? How do I get started yeah. in security? What, what's your advice to our audience along those lines? So uh, what, we're always going to say, and I've always said this, always learn a programming language first, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't yes. matter. I'm not forcing you to, say, learn assembly or anything. I do recommend you getting the rudimentaries of C just because uh, today's computing, you, we take it so much for granted. Mm-hmm. So when you and I grew up, and we, we all grew up, we had to actually, we had a well, cursor. Speak for yourself about growing up part. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't still grow up. That's why I still use my Apple IIe. No, um, <laughs> Everybody needs to go get an Apple IIe and learn how to program. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, 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 See, I, just, I just grew out. <laughs> No, but, but, you know, worst case, get a similar. No, but we do take for granted today, right? The kids growing up today, and it's great, by the way, um, is that, you know, you get on there and you can just see this picture, right? But back for us, it was, there was a cursor and you're like, okay. Here's where the curiosity now, starts. Yes, how do we yes. how do we get this thing driving? Right? It was it's like, like everyone in key. early computing had to be a hacker. Everybody had to be a hacker, right? So to 
to operate the computer. Yeah. Today, though, it, it doesn't. Um, one of the things, and it's great about the millennial generation and, and and everybody coming out of there is. Wait, there's something great about the millennial generation. <laughs> Actually, there <laughs> is. Just, I, there, there is. Okay. Okay. It's good. A, it's a hit and miss. Please, please enlighten me. <laughs> On the edge of my seat now, Liz. <laughs> See, okay, it is a psychological thing. They have this need to. Um, what do you call it? Uh, validate and, and, and uh, <laughs> that too. But the ones that actually like are in the workforce, in the in the workplace, they have this need to be uh, validated Wait, and approved. And <laughs> yeah, Oops, but sorry. there's an I'm advantage sorry. there because they are sponges right now, and that's a good thing, right? Okay. So, um, so for instance, uh, there are some of them that I've worked with that are like, you know, they they'll pick up the technical, but you can tell they're going to go probably in the business line. But it's good that they have mm-hmm. taken the time. Mm-hmm. They're eager to do a lot, which is really cool, right? That that part has been you got to learn how to tap into that, mm-hmm. right? But if you can, you know. Uh, Their world, nothing's impossible. That's the really cool part. Like, I mean, that, and maybe that's just youth in general. But and I might argue those the ones that are motivated. Correct. Oh, and, and which, I will take which persistence course, and motivation over talent any day. Which of, the of course, week. you're the only ones that you're hiring are the ones that motivate. You, yes, so. yes, yes. I, I try to kill dead weight if possible. So you know. Um, but yeah, so if I were to tell them, so start with a programming language. Today, the popular one is Python, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you can learn some rudimentaries of C, because it teaches you about memory and and actually how like the it's a high level language for low level concepts, mm-hmm. that could be a good thing, right? That's always a a thing. So there was a, a kid, uh, Hi Zach, uh, that. Uh, uh, he's like 24 now or whatever, and he's been doing, he's just been, they, these kids zipped through this. It's really great. So it's watching them just learn. But he, he went on his own to do Python and learn C. And I was like, whoa, that's cool, right? Cause no one picks up C anymore, but it's, it's good to see people do that because they're going to get a fundamental understanding of computing. I like what you do there. See people do that. Wow. <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> see what I did there? But you'll get a fundamental a understanding of computing, which we don't, mm-hmm. like, uh, there's a buddy of mine, Richard Johnson, well known and, and stuff, and he writes like, like kernels and driver level stuff and I was talking to a black hat and this guy goes in the level of like yeah so there's this like new piece in the processor and he starts breaking all this stuff down like total hardware hacking and you're just like you're a rare one, right? Because no one knows that <laughs> no stuff one anymore. Yeah, anymore. Unless you work right? at Intel or AMD, you don't yeah. know that stuff, yeah. right? Um, and so it, it was cool to see, and I'm like, wow, I haven't heard two people talk about that in a long time. It was just really cool. So, you know, so yeah. But uh, yeah, learn, so a language, other advice? So learn, learn a language. language. Um, find a mentor. And the reason why I say this, in, for instance, uh, uh, is because you're playing with tools that are dangerous. And wrong crowd, wrong click, wrong thi- uh, thing, it's even if you go online. It's kind of like woodworking in that respect. <laughs> it's I think it's important to find a mentor because the tools are really it dangerous. It is like a blacksmith. It's a trade craft, yeah, right? Yeah. It's a trade craft. Okay. Um, and um, like actually, like, uh, Zach, I was uh, talking about just now. Someone actually told me about him, introduced and said, you know, he's playing with these tools. I want to, you know, make sure he's around people that are, are playing with these tools on the right side of the world, right? Because you get online and you play with these tools. You don't know if that crowd is good or bad mm-hmm. and you haven't, you don't know the line between that and most people don't go around going, let me read the laws first, right. you know? Yep. So, um, so that's the thing. Find a mentor, uh, someone who's you know well known and willing to mentor. And there's a lot of people out there uh, that are willing to do that. Um, um, the next one is um, one of the things that's very difficult um, is not giving up, right? So today's generation does sometimes give up a little easier. Um, again, you were talking about motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, but persistence, okay, so uh, hackers, I, I, when I break it down to the people side of the hacker, it's curiosity, creativity, and persistence, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the makeup of a hacker. 
Um, if it's not for you, it's okay, right? Like, so if you're playing and dabbling with computers and it's just not for you, that's okay too. It, hacking doesn't have to be down to computing, right? Um, but one of the things that is, is if it is, and you've got a mentor and you've got languages that you're learning, start also going to meetups to meet other people. And the reason why is your career counts, mm-hmm. right? So if you're, st- you know, I know, I meet a lot of people that are in like Oklahoma or, and they're in Arkansas and they're in like some, some areas, they just don't have any reach out. But if they have a car or, or they can get out somewhere, you know, maybe to their nearest metro city and go hang out with uh, some kind of meetups, like it's, whether it's programmers or 2600 or, or whatever, yeah. uh, that circle uh, of people will get you the opportunities mm-hmm. you need, right? Or, OWASP, uh, or OWASP or right. any, any of yeah. those. And yeah. then there's also some online meetups these days that um, you know you can start, uh, I think people are starting to do hangouts and, and stuff. And with a mentor, they can also go to do on what IRC to hang out with or yep. people to talk to and stuff. But it really is Ironically, I'm telling us hackers to socialize, but it really is important for them to socialize, or they will just be kind of stuck in a room and wondering where right. their career went, right? Yeah. Um, and and under, one thing I think hackers knew from the beginning of this, the early days, was we need attention or we won't get jobs. <laughs> so so this is where all the stunt work comes from. Like, look what I hacked today, and that actually helped. You know, if you look at, like, the, the champions of, like, the, you know, old school original hackers, they, they all have... They're at the top of their peak because they, people knew who they were, right? And stuff like that. So, um, and then, of course, if you can, make it to Black Hat or DEF CON and mm-hmm. meet more people, right? Um, but those are the big ones, really. Uh, it's just kind of like, um, you know, uh, uh, failures of your best friends. So when you screw up or you can't get it or you don't figure it out, just keep going at it. Just, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the whole point was, uh, it's the playing field is even nowadays, right? It's not like we can't all, most people can get a computer, right? Mm-hmm. Most people can learn on Wikipedia. Most people can learn on a GitHub or they can learn everywhere. It's not like there's a class system with hacking, right? We're, we're all here for our brain. We don't have this diversity issue or, or these, uh, and, these, there, and these there's so much information available. Now. Yes. And it's all, it's all, it's even playing field. And all you do is, I mean, the rule is just bang, 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 bang on into it until you can basically figure it out and mm-hmm. stuff. And if you don't call up a buddy and they can, you know, teach you and, 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 and help you. So, Lance, at some point in, in your career, you started analyzing malware and started tracking the bad guys. How did you come across the, you know, that kind of line of work? Or was it just curiosity in the beginning? So I think <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, so I've always um, – so, so before I got into that line of work, I was kind of a network security engineer, right? Mm-hmm. And I would see the stuff coming on the IDS. And, and uh, back then, I, I hate to say it, but it was those days I could put my feet up. Right and, and like you know, okay, the perimeter is good. Right, you know, right. Nimda finally comes out. Code <laughs> Red comes out. You're like, okay, you, you're dating this, yourself now. Now this is defining incident response. I know how old you are because <laughs> if I was eight on an Apple IIe and you were eight in Apple IIe, yeah, I know how old. My you birthday's are. next week too, so I'm getting old. Happy fortieth. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. I'm thirty eight. Oh, I'll be thirty eight. <laughs> I'm still thirty seven. I'm holding on to it. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah. So how I got into it. So it was, it's really interesting. So I, I, I founded I2P, which is a, like a Tor network, right? So in 2001, I was into crypto. That was, the, that was my thing. And my math, I was at work. I had my feet up as a network security engineer, literally, um, 2001. And I was like, I want to do some crypto. I, I played with Freenet. Remember Freenet, um, mm-hmm. Ian Clark's thing. And so I started playing with that, doing a little bit of, I wasn't much of a Java guy, so it was kind of uncomfortable, but I, I tried to develop a little bit for it. 
And then I'm like, you know, it takes 24 hours to get me a message here. It was a time-based archival system. It made sense. And I'm like, screw this, man. I want some IRC and some anonymity, right? So, <laughs> so I started studying, like, dining cryptography's problem and all these, like, interesting anonymous, like, basically, if you, you, people talk about Bitcoin now. They don't know anybody about D- David Chom. If you want to learn about some of the history of what really, you know, uh, and it's funny because he doesn't get mentioned in Bit- when related to Bitcoin, but right. look up David Chom, C-H-A-U-M, and you'll find the e-voting system. Uh, the, the hash cash concepts, like um, blind signatures in crypto, you know, all these really cool, hard problems, right? And I sucked at math in high school because I hated my teachers. Mm-hmm. But they said there's actually a study that says males tend to get into math around their 2021, 20, 22, and it starts getting in their peak. So, <laughs> and I was like getting into self taught, starting to learn big number theory. I was reading the handbook of applied cryptography. I was bringing applied to cryptography. Um, by the way, the handbook, once you get past applied and get the basics, that is a great book. Um, and so, anyways, um, so I was like, I, there was, I was on to something, and then it was like four in the morning. I was asleep, and I woke up. I literally woke up, and it was like just spinning around, and I was like drawing napkins, and I said, I got it, and I knew how to how to design this. So I started writing it in C. Um, so it was crypto, and then finally we got everybody anonymous. Like, don't have your IPs, I don't have this and that. And then I started getting interested in the author analysis. Who am I talking to? Mm. Right, like the more of a oh, Sherlock Holmesian type perspective. Like, uh, I would do studies like, well, if you bang on the computer, oh, your left hand preference, mm-hmm. or or um, you're a visual, auditorial, or kinesthetic learner based on how often you might say, I see what you're saying versus I feel what you're saying, I, vis- I hear what you're saying. And so I started studying uh, neuro linguistic programming, not the crappy artist seduction stuff, but the actual language semantics. Uh, that was taught in the 70s mm-hmm. and I was starting to apply that and go can I figure out who you are without an IP address can I mm-hmm. figure out what gender you are what kind of you know what style is there a profile I can build around it so it became interesting to me and then so at the time ITP I was still IIP at the time but I was also talking to some people about starting a company maybe like a secure communications instant messaging platform or something I was like kind of bored with the job I had and I knew I needed to start a company I just didn't know what it was I remember being around a bunch of people and then it hit me so big not so big came out uh, a phishing attack came out I did a talk at TorCon 2002 about I2P right and then this PhD came up to me and said, hey, you want to you know, break some crypto? And it was all Stego stuff. And was watching uh, covert communications and spam by terrorist organizations. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got into tracking that down. And this, this guy kind of taught me forensics, like how to apply almost like it was kind of an um, uh, intelligence project. But I was on the crypto you know, cracking part. Mm-hmm. And he was showing me the forensics. And all that just became – it was kind of this like new – Wow, and I'm I'm 22, sucking on information, right? So, and I'm hanging out with a PhD and got his attention. I'm like, my my ego is up, right? I'm feeling good, and so, uh, um, so basically, he started going into forensics, and I started studying how he did it and learned things like that. So, kind of took on a, a mentor, and then. Uh, from that point, I started. we started applying that both in the tracking spam and classification. That's where we kind of started that whole forensics and tracking bad guys down. But it was kind of scaring me because then by 23, I had kids, and I didn't want to be in counterterrorism at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and my name's, you know, I didn't think about OPSEC or any of those things, right? My name, my, I bought a house, and it was like everything's on there. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to let you guys do this. But I learned a lot from it. So I started a company around that. Um, which focused on, like, phishing came out in one of the emails, and the same PhD and I started tracking it down. 
And we did the same techniques, and we actually found the tester in Delaware. We found all of the web bug logs that were actually showing how many it was hitting. People hadn't seen this kind of phishing against these banks, and this was 2003. We contacted the bank and said, hey, well, for free, give us the hard drives. We just want to know curious. Like, we'll help you out. And they were really pushed off because there was an insider at the bank helping out yeah. the bad guy, right? Uh, and so, um, so we kind of were like, well, okay, if you don't help us, semantic owning security focus at the time is willing to pay us a grand to write a st- like a, a a forensic analysis on this. And so we wanted to keep our names anonymous because these are Russians we were dealing with, right? And so I was like, it was Squirrel and Dr. Moose. And then like Security Focus is like, we're not going to publish a paper with that, that nicknames on it, right? And so I'm like, how about Secure Science Corporation, which was my first company? Mm-hmm. They're like, that'll work. And so actually how I started my company mm-hmm. was putting this article out, rushing to put just some kind of basic logo on the website. Oh, jeez. Right? <laughs> like literally getting paid to market myself. Didn't realize this was going to happen and go down this way. And it got slashed out of that week. And then our first customer, who was the United Nations, called us on the week and said, do you guys do audits? And we're like, right now we do everything. Yeah. Right? So, nice. so, so basically we became like known for the company that could track down fishers. And we mm-hmm. started taking the same spam classification. Phishing is just another form of spam. So we started moving it over to kind of when you hear about APT 1, 2, 5. We were doing PG, what we called PG. And this is 2003 before APT groups were out there. We had PG01, which was the hangup team. PG number 2, which was the city image group. And we had their schedules. We had PG. We was like PG number two. Well, there was someone screaming on an Anna Fishing uh, list, and uh, it was a bank. And I said, "Yeah, they hit you on Wednesdays. Actually, they hit eBay on Tuesdays. They hit Citibank on Thursdays." We had this down. To how much a, of it was statistical analysis, and how much it was like the behavioral and language analysis that you? Oh, so about that was interesting. So, and, and how much was it infiltration? There, okay, that, you know, all of this. <laughs> Just all of it, guys. <laughs> 33, 33, 33, done. Go. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And that 1% for coffee. Yeah. Uh, yes. no. um, so it started out with classification because to understand any kind of pattern, you need to get a handle on it. People keep reacting. Mm-hmm. So we decided, let's stop reacting, right? And I learned from the PhD how to do statistics and classifications and stuff. And like, um, you know, I got my rubber stamp fake PhD for that, right? Like, so I, I was sponging on him and I was learning that stuff and how to do classification. So he was teaching me a lot of actually er, early ML and early probabilistic uh, mm-hmm. writing, right? I was interested in language. He was interested <laughs> in language. So we started then applying, like we also analyzed the you spam did a, content. You did a great at Black Hat this year. Every vendor says they have machine learning. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> well, this was before they probably called it that. Same with before we yeah. called it threat intelligence, Ooh. right? Like, uh, <laughs> I just called it tracking down hackers, right? Um, <laughs> So it was, it was funny though. So we started with classification. What that did was allow us to kind of have folders of kind of a, a view, right? Because if imagine if you mind map it, right? You can kind of go, okay, this actor's doing this, this actor's doing this, this actor's doing this. And you get like a view. And then once you start looking and kind of going into the depth, you see the pattern. Like when I said they hit an eBay or they hit this bank or they hit this bank on these days, you literally just saw this pattern because you would be classifying it and dropping it into that, that pool. And you go, oh, that's PG number two. Okay. And we'd write filters in code that could just pick off these spams. All we did was have spam collectors that literally recognized both in the headers and in the content, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they had certain type of headers, they had certain type of language, and then they started ha- certain type of content. And you hear about like EFFs got that pano click stuff and they, how they do it is like some of it was entropy. So we did it right, off of right. like measuring certain entropy in the languages mm-hmm. we measured, also engrams and things like this. And it, it didn't scale like it does today. We didn't have these huge machines, but it, it wasn't that much stuff that we we were picking out very precise groups, right? We didn't need mm-hmm. to see every piece but, of spam. Right. So we started there. 
And then I started getting into web application security at the same time because I was forced to write a book called Phishing Exposed. Um, <laughs> no, um, but basically I had to learn uh, web app sec because I also knew what was going to happen on, on that. I could see these trends where once they really get their hands around that, they're going to do these attacks. So part of, part of writing the book was the research. But then I also, like through that, learned how to infiltrate their stuff, right? And then the language piece came in both the combination of us spam, classifying spam because we had to look at language types and, mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, and then um, we would actually even go down to one spammer, and I think I put it in chapter one. It was living in the L.A. area likely, or at least a Raiders, Raiders fan because he wasn't spamming on Raiders home games. Oh. Right? Oh, yeah, That's so we, awesome. this is like how we got to this. Now, yeah. if I like have Maybe to even a Raiders season ticket holder type thing. Right, exactly, right? So we were like figuring out things like these weird, like, you know, more like, I, I guess it's more compared to like Sherlock Holmesian type of approaches, but it was more about get and understand your data first, and then we were able to do the human eye. Because people talk about automating intelligence, and it's like, it's it's not about just automating. Like you go through the intelligence life cycle, no matter where you go, no matter how, what year it's going to be, you're going to always have humans involved. You're going to always have automation. I mean, it's just figuring out what you can do with the patterns that you have seen. Can you use that to automate or feed a system that can do it? Right? It, it's not magic in that sense. It's actually a lot of work, and it's kind of like trudging up, you know, a lot of dirt and you know piling it up. But the difference is, is that you finally got a tractor, and it's helping you do that. Right? Mm. So. Um, and then we got into infiltration. So this is where I had Hikari introduced me to some of the FBI buddies so that I had oversight. But I had all these crazy ideas with no knowledge of the law yet, right? Like not in a real way. But it was fun because I got to hang out with uh, the lawyers on their side and go, I got 10 crazy ideas to like hack into these dudes. And they're like, yeah, we can't do that. We can't do that one. We can't do that one. So just to get to, you know, as many people might hate the FBI, they do spend a lot of time trying to protect people's privacy on this. They couldn't, they went by the books on this stuff. And then they're like, we might be able to do this. Here's the contentions. And so we would go back and forth. The fun part, and this is that interpersonal stuff that goes back to that, was learning how to find ways that we could be progressive. Now, this is 03, 04, where this is what we call offensive counterintelligence, but they, there was no book on this yet, right? Mm -hmm. Especially on the cyber side. So we would do everything we could so that we didn't break the law, but what were clever ways? And one of the things was malware... Around 2003, I found, and I'll give you the story of how I got into the infiltration. Same year, I, I was operating at a very higher speed than this. So, like, it was like, same year, though, I, you, people talk about information sharing. I finally met the guy that actually, last year, that I, I, we, we did this, uh, this whole thing. But 2003, there was an ISP in Florida that was getting a lot of bad guy stuff down there. Mm -hmm. And I had spotted it out because I was tracking, you know how I said I was classifying stuff. So I was classifying domains it, along with these spams. So I'm like, this guy, KarlMarx.ru, okay, Leningrad, notice the pattern, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, Gorbachev.ru, the good old days. They don't like the new uh, right. democracy, <laughs> right? So there was a pattern there, too. But I, it was all pointing over to this box, and I said, hey, I'll give you, like, free, like, analysis on this, any signatures I build or anything like that if you can get me that hard drive, right? I said, this is all bad, so there's no, like, privacy invasion here. This yeah. is just bad. Check your TOS if you, you, uh, you can shut it down, right? So... So basically, he sends me the hard drive, a copy of the hard drive, right? I start analyzing it, which is when I really got into forensics, because that was just fun, right? It was a base camp. When I say base camp, think of an intranet on a corporate network. Well, it's their version of it, and it's bad guys. 
Wow. So in 2003, I get a real big view of infiltrating an entire operation out of Russia. And I'm talking their communications, their Western Union stuff, their, the, the, the pictures of the, who they are. There was a cat. I got a cat with money hanging around on the floor. I was like, definitely the cat did it. Um, <laughs> but like, no, like literally addresses. There was mafia people that were actually pushing on young kids, like 16, 17-year-olds. These mafia guys had the guns. Like there was a – you learned the culture. You're like, okay. It's not like – again, like I said, not everybody grows up evil, right? It's mm-hmm. like the environment environment was uh you know a survival environment right and so and and back then in 2003 i put out a report back then it was like super secret and stuff but now it's like they were infiltrating networks that you you know we get we're not as surprised today but i'm talking like missile systems uh major banks like inside these banks in 03 no, when no one knew about this malware mm-hmm. this this you know infiltrating type malware right, right. exfiltrating malware so uh, and I, I'm talking lists long. We literally, when I did the forensics, I'm like, here is everything they've been in. And I had all their data. And so I tried to send it over to all the banks and I, I got kicked off the NA phishing working group because they're like, we think he's a fisher. And so I had the FBI call and say, hey, no, he's actually up aboard. What he's doing is legal. And so it was just from a forensics gig. But I'm realizing I started getting the malware. I learned how it worked. That's how I got into the malware part was it was called Burbu at the time, 2003. And so I got this copy of malware. I got like different versions of it on their base camps because they compiled different versions. I even had like source code access to some of it. And it was really cool. They were doing all this activity on one server? Yeah, well, yeah, it was like a base camp. It was their like their VPS that they all kind of communicated on, right? Right. And think about it, it's 2003. That's true. I was going right. to say, our hackers are yeah. even that sloppy? Yeah. It was, well, the larger groups are, aren't that sloppy. Right. It wasn't even VPS back then because we didn't really do the VPS. But, like, you know, think of it as like a group VPS, right? Um, and they didn't think anybody was going to notice it, mm-hmm. right? And so I happen to have a gold mine, which I'll, I'll, I'll say when I started my company, competitively put me ahead a little bit. I really got to understand the inside working of a phishing and, and, mm-hmm. and malware group, right? Which no one had at that time. Everybody was like, okay, we're seeing it from the outside, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah, this, yeah. So this gave me a little bit of an edge. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll admit. Um, but it was cool because I kept information sharing with that stuff and I, I started realizing if I start information sharing with them, I could also do it with them, them. And back then, no one was complaining about this stuff because it was just raw bad. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. not a mix. I didn't get hacked. I'm not messing with someone's privacy. It's just that hard drive is owned by a bad guy. If mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be in your network and you don't want to be on your network, then you can shut it down and you know, I can sign up as your security company that does your forensics, right? And I'll do it for free, right? There's, there's, uh, there's rules you can play there. And so that was actually really cool um, time. So it got me way into Like, it opened my eye. It was like one of those mind blown, right? Oh. Like, you're like, wow, this is crazy. Um, so basically, within the same year, I got into classifying, tracking, doing, you know, stuff. And then also, like, you know, doing forensics and infiltration. Because mm-hmm. then I started learning how their malware worked. And a lot of times they had logs, like, uh, on, you know, public things that people didn't know about. This is early days. Uh, or I knew where the logs were or what they would be called. Even then they were world-readable, but the, the, the directory may not be open. Now, by law, that's not a violation. That's a web, public website. So I set up, like, scripts called, I set this thing up called Tackle Box. Get it? Tackle box. <laughs> I would do things like IPID inference too, like the numbers. The, a lot of them were sequential back then, mm-hmm. so I could tell how much traffic hit the phishing site. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I could tell like if there's multiple like proxies, um, they would all sh- forward over the same IP IDs, so I could tell how many uh, different motherships were behind things. Like, I was going to uh, say, did you have a list of everything that they had compromised? Yes, I had. Uh, oh, yes, I did. Uh, I had a full. I had pictures of them. I had a list of them uh, compromising. And I'm talking. I had it j- done in industry, so government was a huge list yeah um financial energy
energy. And this was 03. All of this stuff has been patched. We called like every single person actually. Right. Um, but this was big back then. No one knew it. We didn't do the whole, let's put this out like an APT1 report or anything like that. We put it out to the government, the industry, and the people who well, needed you need to, to know about contacting all those people that have been owned. Right. To- and two, it was, it was not appropriate to do a marketing maneuver on that, right? This is like, sure. this was scary as heck, right? Like this was like, this blew our minds and like, I can only imagine. Uh, we, I mean, like I said, people were trying to kick me off of a working group because they didn't understand why, how I had this information, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it was, it was, it, it, it opened up a light that was just really, on everybody, right? We were like, oh, we thought this was like just the beginning. This stuff, these guys have been around a while, and mm-hmm. this is like this is like espionage, right? Um, but it's also cybercrime, right? I mean, there was money involved, all of that stuff. I mean, there's not too far, right? When you think about espionage, money, ideology, coercion, or ego, right? So, so it was fun. Um, so I just started making a whole living about like figuring out how to infiltrate their malware and pull the data out of it, mm-hmm. whether it's log files or this and that. I started learning the laws so that I wouldn't break any laws, but it was an offensive countermeasure, right? Yeah. It was yeah. um, speaking of. Hey, plug, free plug, guys. No. <laughs> Thank you. But it was early, early, early days. And in only until 2006, after my book came out, people started going, oh, recovered credentials. I need that service. Like before, they were like, how'd you get this? Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it, no, are you extorting me? Oh, no, this data is free. We can't charge you for your own data, right? You know, right. Uh, but I learned all of these like lessons along the way, that things uh, that we do normally in, right. in cyber intelligence. And, 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 and so it was funny. Uh, there was one bank, I, I, don't, I won't say their name, but they were progressive. Like they were the ones that got it right away. And they're like, let's talk. Like, you know, and that was that was cool to see. And that kind of helped validate what so we're no, doing. Well, what yeah. was your company that this This was Secure Science from? Corporation back okay. in the day, SSC. It, or but S- your primary mission back then? Counterintelligence, man. It was okay. like hacking hackers, but in a way that we could. Like, all that happened was originally I started the company, like I said, off that semantic yeah. forensics on phishing. And I realized... I just went with it. And then now everybody called me for forensics and phishing and like, you know, hey, we, all the banks like that were, that did know what we were doing were like, we need your help. Oh my gosh. And so we ended up becoming a, um, a early threat, like it wasn't called threat intelligence then. We didn't even know what to call it. I remember actually being on the phone with Wells Fargo when I actually started the comp, like the name of the product. They called and they goes, how much is this? And we're like, we'll get back to you in a week. Like, what's it called? Uh, um, Slam? Uh, secure legal action management. Right? I didn't know what the freak to call it, right? I'm just like, okay, that sounds cool. Let's go. This is how this company comes, is that we started solving a problem, mm-hmm. and then the banks were coming at us, and we're like, oh, crap. <laughs> it's, it's time to move on this. And so I literally quickly uh, hired a business development guy mm-hmm. right after that, and I was like, I need your help putting all this stuff together. I don't yeah, know what to yeah. do. Because um, all I was in the world of is just like doing this stuff, and usually I would survive off pen tests and things like that. I knew how to do that. Uh, but then it became basically a counterintelligence company or cyber counterintelligence company. I've never really called it threat intelligence until the name kind of came out, but it was always to me cyber counterintelligence, right? Which is just cyber is a domain, land, airspace, sea, and, and it's counterintelligence in that world. So, um, so yeah, so we get started getting all these banks and then we started getting like, obviously I had FBI oversight, which was great, uh, which is probably the best way to start a company you, you, when you're messing with like figuring out where to go and in, in the seas of like uh, unknown territory. And then uh, we ended up getting like, you know, massive, uh, cool government contracts as well and stuff like that. Um, and it was actually cool because I ended up like, uh, the people I got to work with when I was young, I had like Michael Hill I don't know, from the Malware Analysis Cookbook. Mm-hmm. He got to, he started kind of there as well. Like he was assistant man before that. And then he started doing his first reversing was the Zeus so paper I'm, we I'm did. I'm curious. So what happened to the company? Cause you oh, I got a divorce from... and that happens. 2009, I got a divorce. Okay. Right. So yeah. Um, so, um, sorry about that. Yeah. But, no worries. Okay. Um, but, but you know, no, so uh, my question for you is today, yeah. right? Fast forward to today. Yeah. 
I, can can organ, most organizations take advantage of some of the cyber intelligence, or is it targeted to specific industries and organizations that are tall enough to ride the ride? So that's so that's what we're trying to change, and I don't want to overdo the Flashpoint thing, but I, I, we are trying to change that a little bit. So, Flash, that, no, so what is Flashpoint? Flashpoint do? is uh, well, it's business risk intelligence, but it is this. It's a similar model that I was telling you about with the secure science, mm-hmm. except it's a, you know it's. 10 years to 15 years later and yeah. it's like mature and the ready to be it's the different, playing field though. different yeah. and they have done a gr- the reason why I joined is I was on the advisory board mm-hmm. and I was uh, I was kind of just you know just kind of floating around after Deloitte and stuff and I was just kind of like oh, we'll see what I want to do you know do speaking here or this or that or just kind of figure it out but I liked being on the board and I was like what they're doing is really really cool um, and so then uh, I decided I want to I want to play ball here I want to I want to come in and do some cool stuff with you guys like I want to start the R&D uh, department so what they're doing, and it's funny because we call it business risk intelligence, which is kind of like someone asked me the other day. We were at Black Hat, and I, you know, I got to—I'm going to totally brag here, but it was true. Like we got like all of our major clients were like just bragging about us at this party. They were just like, "Man, we're just really like." I've never been at work at a company where you know usually you got to have some like bad stuff. They're like, "I really like this." Stuff. I'm like, "Wow, this is good to hear some of these big names like do this." And I was like, wow, this is it, it because the mission, the vision that we're doing, it's not about like we, you know, we're just trying to service our clients. It really is a pure mission, right? We're trying to protect people. But what they do is they kind of named the market that we've been doing the whole time. So we, people call it cyber threat intelligence these days, but that is only very limited, right? When you think about it, you think like Soltra or you think about these products that go into your operational centers like socks and they allow you to like react. And there are, they always talk about indicators of compromise. Well, those, when I think about advanced persistent threats, I don't think, I, I don't usually see advanced persistent threats repeating their pattern because that's why they're advanced. Right, right. And so when you get this, the, the basic, uh, if someone sends you IOCs and you put it in, you either got hit or you're not going to get hit. Mm-hmm. And that's all you got. That's the lifetime of that, that, that information. Well, right? people want to use the uh, cyber threat intelligence to learn <laughs> about before they get hacked. Correct. But it's not it, – But the prob- It's not that, right? Yeah. I had an issue when I read stuff about that. Well, so, so it should be that, but it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. I always say what's the point of intelligence if it's always after the fact, right? Yeah. If you're not really – learning anything right and the idea of intelligence is what when you see threat feeds that's not intelligence that's information yeah until analysis comes in it that mm-hmm. becomes intelligence you have to be right. able to make a decision right and that requires both human and automation your automation cannot help you can you know make all decisions in the world right right so what we've done is this model actually has been across the board so like flashpoint kind of started out similar to secure science in some ways the counter-terrorist side right they they they, they were modeling into looking at Bad guys in the, the deep and dark web that are focused on physically hurting people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, you think about that. That's in the cyber realm, but it affects their physical security. Yeah. It affects yeah. across the board to their decisions. Mm-hmm. If they're the Olympics, they got to mm-hmm. think about all of those things, right? So something like that, uh, when you think about it, is what real business risk or even organizational risk intelligence is, is that you're on the cyber domain, but it doesn't mean it's limited to but cyber. For something on the Olympics, that makes sense. They would sign up right, for that we, kind of service. Right, but we do it across the board for all of our financials, right? right? They don't think about IPs and this and that. Think about fraud, cards, this and that, right? So those are not really th- – those – Everything has an active response to it, right? Like they yeah. shut that card down. Yeah. They shut right. this out. Right. If right. their right. account went out and this and that, no, that's and, and that simplified, makes right? But I think people try and use it to – this is kind of a blanket right. statement, right? They use the cyber threat intelligence, regular right. threat intelligence, right. and, and all these things to say, to dilute. Well, yeah. tell me about what's owned in my network. Right. It, I, and I'm like, no, no hold on. Let's back that's, up. That's threat. threat <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's more like threat profiling or right? I don't know, so, vulnerability uh, assessment. I don't know. So, you can, you yeah. can agree or disagree, but I always tell them, like, look, if 
you're looking at these external factors to right. tell you about what's wrong in your internal network, I'm like, why don't yes. you just look on your internal network? <laughs> so I've actually written blogs on this. There okay. was literally no... I'm your, not crazy. No, your, no, I just speak on this all the time. This, this, so, is, this is the, oh, I'm already fucked intelligence. Yeah, yeah. So there is literally a blog I wrote on DNS classification about last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was a series I wanted to start, but uh, the company I was doing it with, we canceled the, the, the blog idea. But uh, it was called Know Your Own Know Your Network series. And it was mm-hmm. before buying threat intelligence. And so I even said it at Deloitte. When I worked at Deloitte, I would be like, you're not ready to buy from us. You need to know what's going on in your own network, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the best intelligence you'll ever get is from your own network. Your but network. people don't even understand their own DNS. They don't understand yeah. if yeah. dynamic DNS is going out of their network. Like, How many corporate networks are you going to have dynamic DNS even popping out of your network without understanding why? <sighs> it's either a developer going to their home, and you're still going to wonder about why that is, or it's some badness, right? And so when you think about that stuff, like and we're talking standard, like you could take an elk, Elasticsearch, mm-hmm. you know, Kibana setup, and you could take about a month and figure out your DNS very quickly, right? It's just <laughs> if you kill all the politics, obviously, you know, I'm giving I'm giving that uh, number based on no politics, right? But in general, you take a couple guys and learn it. Plus, it's a fun project, mm-hmm. and it feels good to go. Okay, I know what's going on over now, and you could literally see your daily like, okay, that's classified as that classified again, spam classification. Now DNS classification. It's all about knowing your own data, right? Um, so- Absolutely true. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I just, you know, I was just thinking uh, in some of the work that um, that I've done with Paul and and, and OCM and stuff. It's, mm-hmm. that, that's exactly it. You got to focus on the data analytics. You got to know the environment. Right. You got to. People have kind of turned off their brain to that stuff, and they're, and they're missing it. They're right. completely missing it. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think you've kind of backed up the philosophy behind our company. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and <laughs> <laughs> see how you did that, that to me. No, no, but the good news. I led you right into that. No, no but no, I mean, we I, work no, in the same world. Your companies call offensive countermeasures. I think, you know, we, we uh, definitely same, come from the same cloth in that way. Thank you. Yeah, so, I tend to ash on myself like a lot. You look, you're looking pretty ashy today. So, at least there wasn't a hole there because then he's not an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he's not an asshole. <laughs> so, so, but here's where flashpoint. And you're probably right. So, in the wrong, in the long term, we tend to take mature clients because they have you been. Have to, well, they like have Sin to be. Archangel, right? I'm going to channel him. Like, how tall you have to be to ride the ride? Right. The because just, by the time you get to us, it's strategic intelligence. You're, yeah. make, you're able to like make a decision strategic. about your organization, but not just make a decision but what you alluded to before is they act on that intelligence correct and a lot of the companies that i see that are getting intelligence are like well i spend a lot of time analyzing it but we don't do a whole lot of acting on it right. so i'm like why well, so why'd you bother, you bother? And we, get metrics look- for, we force metrics from our customers mm-hmm. so they give us Actually, a feedback because feedback loop and intelligence is so important it's one of the most important so they come back we kind of have high touch relationships with our clients so they'll come back and say we uh, took action on this percentage and so we can clean up our act yeah right you know that. and it. so yeah. we encourage like what we don't know the mistakes mm-hmm. we make you know uh, and the good things as well it's like obviously mm-hmm. that's what i see that's a side comment very, you're very animated, Lance. We love yeah, sorry. Uh, but the side comment is even in pen tests, when you do those, you should also say what's good about what they did well, right? right. So, yes. so having that balance is, is great. But really, it's real intelligence is a bi-directional relationship, mm-hmm. right? So I can send you stuff. And if I don't know what it, it did for you, then I'm just guessing. Yeah. It right? needs some, <laughs> well, 
You have to apply context. So some, I, yeah. I should back up. Um, you can get intelligence, and if you apply context to it, right. help you back up what you're already learning inside of your own network, which is always my recommendation. People are insistent about using threat intelligence, and even right. we're sponsored by a threat intelligence company. Mm-hmm. They agree with me. They're like, right. yeah, no, that's how we want people yeah. to use it is like another, we call it a perspective, right. uh, on the field that, that you're view. already collecting yeah. internally. And as I say, you can never have enough intelligence, right? So it doesn't mean you go just Flashpoint or just you guys or just us. Right, right, um, right. We, we serve a cer- certain purpose. Another thing that's different from us, though, is we are very precise oriented, right? People talk about the deep and dark web. We don't get everything. We get what's precise and focused, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't deliver everything to our clients. That's another thing is dilution, right? You load up those sims with so much data, mm-hmm. and they're just taxing and chugging along, oh. and, and uh, you have Not to spend more licenses just to get up, uh, like, you know, more uh, commodity hardware on it. Um, but, you know, it's more about, like, um, you know, like when we talk about that decision, getting that decision means that we have to know our customer and know... Mm-hmm. Um, how to actually deliver a very precise, and that that is this back and forth, back and forth. So then right. we it's we create what's called PIRs, right? Priority intelligence requirements, which allow us to understand what their needs are across the board. And, and you've then done this for a long time. Yeah, yeah, this is, is my thing. Is, so. This is like you described your whole history yeah. um, behind that. So. What is there value in looking at like what the trends are today, or is that not going to be specific enough Future. for most organizations? Like, what can we, what actionable intelligence can you give us in terms of trends that you're seeing today? Well, yeah, for instance, the ransomware, mm-hmm. right? What happens when it's not ransom about a ransom anymore? So, what a lot of people are misunderstanding about ransomware is right now it's about money, but it really, when it comes down to it, let's speak of our age again, it's a logic bomb, right? Yep, it's mm-hmm. simply a logic bomb, right? And in the payload happens to be pay me. Right? right, if you pay me, right. So, um, in the case of that, though, the psychological aspect of it is, I see so many people lying about paying the ransom because it got hit on their work computers. Mm-hmm. They happen to be a CTO. They can't, you know, that messes their ego up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll pay the three hundred bucks just to like make it go away, and they don't want to like get in trouble at work, and they, you know, worried about fire. Now, imagine. You put the same kind of psychological pressure even more, especially when you see things like the DNC hack and the power of influence mm-hmm. that's going on. Influential hacking is the trend. Psychological, basically, P-S-Y-B-E-R, cyber. <laughs> so, but basically, psychological operations are starting to play into this. The bad guys are figuring out that people, they can bend them because they aren't bits and bites. They are people. And so what happens when it is a coercion technique that allows someone to commit an insider threat thing or open up a, an right. ACL mm-hmm. uh, because they'll get fired otherwise or they're scared mm-hmm. or they get blackmailed or they this and that. We saw the Ashley Maddox. So we're seeing like hints of these things, yeah. but we nothing fully of, operationalized in a strategic manner yet, but that's where it will go. But we label so, it hacktivism because but it's it makes hacktivism. a big splash in the news and that's, we label that hacktivism. hacktivism is talking, <laughs> yeah, and but what you're talking about is very much more targeted and a lot more scary. And it is true hacktivism because if you're talking about hacktivism, the definition, I2P, inventing that was hacktivism. Why? Because it was a political statement mm-hmm. writing software, right? It had influence mm-hmm. with the software. Mm-hmm. The hacktivism today is a bunch of teenagers. Let's, I'm just going to be honest. That are they got to have some reason to live at the time, right? You know, keeps them going, right? They need most of the time. It's truly motivated by attention-seeking behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Which is fine. That's what it is. But let's stop trying to make it out like that. They're truly motivated by ideology. It's it's like. Um, that it's kind of like if you do, you're going to be looking in the wrong places in the first place, right? Even Snowden, people feel like he's, oh, a hero. But at the same time, it wasn't ide- all ideology that has motivated him. There were other things, too. So Is that so he could sell more of his cell phone specialty thing? <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. He, he, there was, there's, some, there's, some, there's more than it meets the oh, Transformers. There's more than yeah. meets the eyes in this story. But, but what I'm getting is same with the teenagers, right? Just because they hacked and said, we did this and we have a manifesto doesn't mean that's all of the reasons why they did. 
get it right. Mm -hmm. We're talking behavioral profiling, right? So in the same thing with hacktivism, actually what if the Russians did hack the DNC, Mm -hmm. that's political hacktivism. It is foreign intelligence through a foreign intelligence uh, model of doing it. It's reflexive control. It's a bunch of cool, really, like, if you want to really scare yourself, go read about Russian psychological operations, like, in reflexive control. But that influential power, that influential power that they have is, they're literally twisting a political... Uh, you know, uh, uh, election right now. That is one of the most dangerous things you can do. It's is the that, leadership of our country. Yeah. So do you think that is so-called state-sponsored, or do you think that's being done in the benefit for a company, or there are other individuals involved that eat, that profit for a particular outcome? In their case, I won't speak to the expertise, so but yeah. I think in this case, I think America has is very uh, fickle as a country and, and as a group, and we're very vulnerable to domestic and foreign influence very easily, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm not surprised if we find out a that this was a Russian thing, or even if it was another country, right? That that this has been going on for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. For instance, yeah. if you take another uh, a hypothetical conjecture here is APT one report comes out. You know, it suddenly puts the attention on China and Russia is spying. Well, Russia and China don't want that attention, but Obama is suddenly pushing a shift over to cyber. And the next thing you know, our industry becomes mainstream. Good for us. Great, right? But you remember you're dealing with spies and and spies like to be quiet and they don't like to be like shine upon, right? Mm -hmm. And stuff. Thus, you know, when you look at like all of the way fast forward to the OPM breach, why it was so aggressive, Bill, because everybody's shining a shy, uh, light on them and they needed to get the information they needed. So they move faster. But our actions of APT1 could have also propelled and, and caused this, you know, speed up. Right. And, and another piece is there's an optional belief that Snowden was a, like a sleeper or was paid by a couple countries. Hmm. Take a guess <laughs> which two ones. Right. Sure. So. China. So, yeah. Right. Where is he living right now? So. Um, and where did he end up before that? Correct, right? Hong Kong, Russia, yeah, China, right? I mean, you, you get into a conspiracy theorist state, which is, you know... The point is that has psychological influence whether it's true or not, and that's mm-hmm. my point, right? It plays yeah. into the confusion. Mm-hmm. You want to go to war with America? How do you do it? Make us not trust our own government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? exactly. Right? Yeah. So we start shutting down in the inside, right? So these are the things that you have to be aware of that... Even if this is all just just junk, and like I said, it's con- hypothetical conjecture. It's conjecture. It's right. conjecture. But it could, you know, it isn't impossible these days. So recently, you know? uh, FireEye uh, fired or let go three or four hundred employees. Uh, in the article, referenced that it was because of ransomware that people were doing it because it's cheaper to pay the ransom than it is to go hire FireEye or Mandiant to clean the boat. Oh, fire from that perspective. Okay, yeah. I thought you meant like you were laying off, and I'm like, wait. wait. <laughs> <laughs> so. But one of the things the article said was <laughs> that one of the other economic factors that is, is that... play. That is a bad play. Yeah. Right? We can get people fired from a certain company. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the firing was done by FireEye themselves, right, right, right. Yeah, not from another yeah. uh, so, organization. Yeah, so, so FireEye laid off 300 people. Okay, 300 oh, they people. did. So I did understand and the reason. The re- they say that the reason was that um, ransomware was cheaper to pay off the ransom than and it would have... be to hire FireEye. Oh, or, oh and or so people, less people were actually <laughs> hiring FireEye, and so they had to lay off for that. Their sales are down. Yeah. The other reason they gave that sales were down was that state-sponsored hacking isn't as frequent today. Do you agree with that? I'd say that uh, depends on uh, what you're targeting. Mandiant and Fire were very specialized in China, mm-hmm. right? So um, when you're, again, you know, we were talking field of view of intelligence. That was their niche. That was their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, all due respect to FireEye, and they probably have other areas and stuff like this. Uh, and these are all suppositions. But... Um, when it comes down to it, I'd say the China cyber peace TM trademark Obama thing uh, that happened with President uh, the Chinese president uh, and them coming together did put 
China into a, a little bit of a shift, right? So internationalization so did, is a big did, issue. Did they sign a treaty? Uh, they didn't sign a treaty, but you got to remember. A handshake. So, so again, let's go back to the pattern. So the pattern was uh, OPM breach. Then shortly after China's um, stock market was tumbling, right? Mm-hmm. Coincidence or not, again, yeah, we can have another conspiracy theater. Mm-hmm. We're not going to say it is. Right. But that, that did happen about a month later. Yeah. And, right? the, and this may be integrating into one of the theories that we talked about on the show um, a while back in that uh, now OPM happens. China's got all the information they need. They right. don't need a lot more. So all of these, these renegades, right. all the mercenaries are like, well, I've also got all this collateral stuff that I'm into. How can I monetize this? Correct. And then you see, you start so seeing the criminal rise behavior, in the, and you see also a, a rise in criminal behavior in China, mm-hmm. right? So criminal uh, also though. So there's also the public appearance, right? So you have Obama kind of being stern during the time their crisis with the stock market is. Obama threatens to sanction them. Now we all know darn well no one's sanctioning anybody. China, we need them. They need us, right? But he made that move in a time that they are panicked, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, again, a political play, right? Yep. I, I would have done the same if I was the president, right? Cyber, so, PS, PSY. Yeah, cyber, cyber, cyber yes. yes. And so that played a part. And it, it, it again, there's also like a theatrics, right? There's all theatrics and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, president uh, is, he's coming out and, and coming to the States and they're sitting down, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of showmanship. Now you gotta remember, the Chinese people see this as well, right? The, the, the in, 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 within China. And so he's gotta kind of, look like, you know, this got to look cool to his people too, right? And you got to remember that the, the prime minister, the presidents uh, of these countries, we get eight years, they got an entire lifetime, they got to continue serving yeah. their people, right? So, um, so he's got to save face for a while. So he's kind of got like the, don't do that, blah, 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 blah. He got to say, we don't know what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. it slowed things down. But you are right. The OPM mm-hmm. is also a big play. They got what the information they wanted, right? So on that end of it, though, is now there's this rising crime, both where the OPM data go. Notice they threw a shift and say it must have been a criminal hackers using the OPM, right? They, they mm-hmm. actually came out with that shortly after. And what also, though, is, is there's a little bit of um, a pressure inside of China because he's had to tuck his tail in a little bit, yep. which makes causes doubt within the, their own country now. And so you're going to have some act outs, some lash outs, right? So now suddenly a rise in criminal activity. This is why you've seen also China really crack down on some of the Chinese dark web forums mm-hmm. and stuff like this. So there, there's going to be some interesting political pressure um, uh, that's going to go back and forth. And so, again, there's the theory of the OPM, and I think we can include that theory. And then we can also include the fact that right now, he, he, you know, he's um, he can blame it. On, and this is another thing we don't think about. The, anybody coming out of China doesn't mean it's always been a nation state, right? you right. you got to remember someone's in their basement decides to do it. Mm-hmm. Heck, that's the best thing. A dissident in China that doesn't like China could go and make it look like it's an APT on purpose yeah, exactly. so that it would put pressure on China. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pressures coming from the, different areas. For the bigger hacks, though, there's more resources than just... Yeah, and I'm not saying that, but right. what I'm getting at is, is that there's a lot of openings for false fug- flags. To take out centrifuges is more yeah. than the dude in his basement. Subterf- yeah, yeah, yeah. Subterf- well, yeah, but yeah. the only ones we've done I, I think uh i think that was the stuxnet right we i yeah, think that it only went that way it didn't come in this way right well there are theories that the subsequent breaches uh, they trace back to iran yeah yep, uh, yeah after that and then there's, there's there was some of, kind, I mean, but the, the theory is and i'm going to take on that, that there was some kind of like subtle agreement between some nation states to be like yeah we can take your country out and we could take your country out with the cyber. Right. So it's we're a cyber, just, we're just, arms race. We're just going to back off. Now, the theory is that they said we're going to back off and everyone kind of fell below the radar and is still maintaining access to each other's countries, critical infrastructure. Right. Just like in the eighties when we had you know, like nukes pointed cold, at each other. It's, it's like, like the cold, cold war. war. Right. That's what people, some people say we're at right now. 
We are in the digital cold war. I've been saying this for a while, actually. Yeah. Um, it's uh, the diff. Um, Can we say the cyber cold war? Because that just sounds. <laughs> I'm a yeah, digital forensics it. guy, okay? No. Um, I like cool. digital. It, it's not cold because we don't have to say I, cyber. I gotta, I'm going to make one of those like no cyber on your website things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're a coalition against using the word cyber. Uh, so, um, damn. So we, oh, digital cold war is available. Dude, yeah, get, it available. get it now. Get it now. Get it. Get it. Get it. Now. We'll, start a, we'll start a bidding in the next segment. Here, here's cyber, <laughs> cyber cold Lance, war. Lance, I'm just going to throw money at you, Larry. Oh, Larry. Larry, you jumped on that before I did. You know, Larry uh, and I have this bad habit of buying domains when we're on the show. Yes. <laughs> so why, what, what indications have you seen that we're in a, a, a digital cold war? Well, it's again. Uh, okay. So the China thing alone, right? With the cyber peace thing. Yeah. And just the theatrics and how that is. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, but we'll shake hands and we'll stop doing that to each mm-hmm. other. Uh, you got to remember the, the original Cold War, what it was for. It was an intelligence war, right? Mm-hmm. It, it stopped us. Like, spies back then, were uh, they were diplomatic, mm-hmm. right? They, they, when I say diplomatic, it doesn't mean people didn't die. What I'm saying is spying was a diplomatic concept, which means that it kept us from throwing nuclear weapons at each other, mm-hmm. right? Now, you got to remember, so people call an OPM breach an attack. It's not a cyber attack. It's traditional espionage. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't computers, you'd still have someone on the inside taking pictures of yeah. all of the stuff, yeah. and there's no difference. This stuff, the only reason it's known is because corporations started outing it, right? right. But in, when it comes to the roles of national security and espionage, that's always been the government thing, and the only time you heard about it is when they wanted something to come out of it, or either you know, when someone they, got caught. They were either messed up right. and got caught, right. or they, like you said, they were. Or there was some pressure. I, I agree with that. Yeah. So now you suddenly change the game because guess what? You got the Mandiants, the CrowdStrikes, all the, the players that like invest in in those kind of forensics and, and investigating espionage now. In the right, digital but it's, world. Yeah. they came across it and they go, "What the heck is this?" I mean, heck, Stuxnet was accidentally come across it by an antivirus company, right? Yeah. You yeah. can't necessarily hide the same way in the, this the, this game because right. there are backscatter and there are there are machines that are going to get their collateral damage that it, again it's not doesn't stay in Iran it stays the, wherever the packet is and you can get to that same box right the story right? goes if you believe the documentary zero day i don't know if you've watched that not yet, yet not yet um they say that uh, Israel is the one that cranked up the the uh, heat yeah. the heat on Stuxnet <laughs> and forced it to leak out. <laughs> and, that's the theory. I, yeah, and, I, and I, you I know what? Claims, uh, politically but. speaking, that's a good maneuver, right? They're next door practically, yeah. and they're not it's afraid easy. of being quote aggressive as their as their posture. Yeah, we so. can blame Israel, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> if it really you know, was, there's, but. there's larger impacts too. I mean, and everything that you guys were just talking about, and I was just thinking, you know, there's this real effect of sort of punch counterpunch. Uh, mm-hmm. going on in a digital cold war and, um, that, that I think is, is, you know, a pretty good statement. But at the same time, there's, there's large economic effects that are occurring. Hugely. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, that, that's a big deal. Yeah. Well, holy crap. We're over time. We were oh. having so much fun. I wasn't oh, paying work. attention to the clock. <laughs> wow. So just now. Keep going. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we can talk more in news because I got more news that'll let us talk about what we're just talking about and in, right. in, in more. But, uh, five questions for you, okay. Lance. We're going to play five questions on Security Weekly. Are you ready? In a world where one man is ready. Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> Three words to describe yourself. Uh, creative, persistent, and curious. <laughs> if, <laughs> it's almost like he's... I heard that. Before. Almost like he practices it. If you were a serial killer, what would be your weapon of choice? Uh, two things. Ninja stars and pineapple juice, but it has to be rotten pineapple juice because it's actually, if it sits too long enough, it's a poison. If you wrote a book about yourself, what would the title be? <laughs> Oof, that's a good one. Um, that's a good title. That's a good title. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah that's a good title. There it is. That's a good one. <laughs> In the popular game of Ask Grabby Grabby, do you prefer to go first or second? 
I don't even know. <laughs> this is popular. Ask how you're It's popular it's in Europe. Europe. Yeah. What is it exactly? Sorry. It's a popular game they play in Europe. So would I go first? Called Ask Grabby Grabby. You prefer to go first or second? That's the only information you get. Oh my gosh. <laughs> first, just to get it out of the way. <laughs> Choose two celebrities to be your parents. Oh, okay. Alive, dead, living, uh, alive, dead. Okay, Michael Faraday is my father. Um, uh-huh. And it's my mother. Let's see. And this is the 2000s. You could have two dads. I was actually kind of thinking about that because I would have gone with Mozart. <laughs> so the two M's, the so, two M's, Michael Excellent. Faraday and Mozart. Thank you very much, Lance. You're going to stick around. We're going to do a technical segment. Then we're talk about stories. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Black Hills Information Security, the leaders in penetration testing and active defense. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to request a quote today. Threat Connect is the industry's most widely adopted threat intelligence platform. Built to unite the people, processes, and technologies across your security team, your organization, and your entire ecosystem of partners. Threat Connect's threat intelligence platform enables your team to collaborate, analyze, and make sense of threat data all in one place. Empower your team towards fast and efficient analysis that leads to decisive action. Transform your entire threat detection and response program today. Claim your free account at threatconnect.com forward slash security weekly. Faraday is an open source collaborative pen test and vulnerability management platform. With real-time dashboards and more than 50 tools, Faraday allows seamless integration with your security workflow, allowing CISOs and pen testers to see in real time the impact and risks uncovered from assessments. Scan your network every day using different tools and get one-click reports. Creating a collaborative experience, sharing knowledge, and making pen testing fun again. This is Faraday. Visit FaradaySec.com for more information. Hey, hey, we're back. Whoa. <laughs> How's it going, everyone? This is going to be a fabulous technical segment. Fabulous. On a little project that Joff is working on, which I was helping test, and then we ripped all our equipment down and put a new network rack in here in the office slash studio. So I'm going to see if my server's still up. I don't think it is, Joff. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, I put one up uh, to test as well. So, you know, you're not alone. And it seems to be working well. Good. Good. So why don't you tell everyone, tell what's about the, it? what is the problem we're trying to solve, Joff? Oh, okay. thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Santa Colangelo, <laughs> uh, for uh, priming me uh, for that, that particular question. I'm not quite sure. I thought it was cool. Okay, so here's how this thing came about. We were talking on the show about uh, DNS black holing um, some time ago, about two or three weeks ago. And... I whipped up a script to uh, create uh, bind nine zone files uh, as we were talking about that. And then I think as we got into the show, it's like, well, where do we want to send the traffic? And everybody's like, well, 127.001, where else are we going to send the traffic? I was like, well, wait a minute. If I am going to uh, black hole all these domains using a list um, you know, from malwaredomains.com or using a list from any one of the uh, common openly published malware domain lists that are out there, maybe I want to send them to a box that's right. listening <clears throat> and capture the traffic. And I well, think you know, it's interesting, Joff, just to, to set the geeky nerdy stage, we were uh, <laughs> having a very serious nerdy discussion about is it faster to send them to 127.0.1? Is it faster to send them to 0.0.0 was one theory out there. And is it faster to just set up a dead web server, or not a dead web server, but a web server that serves a blank page or 
like a really, really, really tiny image instead. And what performance-wise is the best solution for that solution. problem? Right, right. I, well, safety-wise, I don't know if it's the best idea to, to throw them at one two seven zero zero one. You never know what it might do. <laughs> right. Uh, it that's could that's end true. up being uh, something that actually uh, someone thinks that you're going to do that and then goes, ha-ha. Yeah, exactly. Um, they could make a connection to something <laughs> – yeah. System. Well, and yeah. I was never too comfortable with sending people to one twenty seven zero zero one. I was so I came, you know, uh, a little bit like you, Lance. I've got a uh, a long history of network engineering, and mm-hmm. um, Paul and I have some stuff in common. We used to work in large university environments. Well, his was a small university environment, but I used to work compared in large- to yours. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. mine was small uh, compared to yours, and um, it still is. You know, we we were. Uh, <laughs> Oh, university. So, Sorry, but what Joff said was like, "Look, we can we can send them anywhere." And he's like, yeah, "Why don't like we... we can we can redirect this anywhere? Why don't yeah. we redirect it to something that we can look at the traffic, you know, and do something?" Right. So sinkhole style, right? So pretty much, uh, yeah. So like, I don't know if you're using Flask. Have you guys used Flask in Python? Yes. So pa- yeah, I've yeah. Used Flask and, so uh, Flask is amazing for something like that too. Like if you set up your own boxes, you don't even have to have your own. Like you don't have to set up complicated web servers or anything. You just go, hey, run it on this and go to this uh, to my IP right there. So that might be something. That way it's all in line too. Right. Well, well that's, that's John took it a step further. He's like, I want to <clears throat> capture the traffic. And he's like, why don't we just listen on every port and capture whatever they send us? Which you was, could do promiscuous. Yeah. It was like yeah. to, to mine because my, one of my well, projects was well, honey it was, ports. Was, it, was more than, it was more than that though, um, Lance. In the TCP case, I was like, <laughs> we need to actually handshake. Mm-hmm. And, and then tear down the connection. That's fine. You know, but, but send them a Synac. Right. Uh, handshake, get the, get the first bit of data they send and then reset the connection or, or fin, finac, whatever. Right. Um, so that's what I, that's what I set up on doing. And I said it on the show. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to write something here, mm-hmm. um, that just listens on any port, but it, but it takes it a step further in that in the TCP case, it will, um, actually handshake mm-hmm. and then it will log. What it um, message it gives out. Yeah. yeah, it'll log whatever the first request that comes out. The first, in my case, it's the first 8K of data by default. It just reads it from the socket and puts it into a file. Right. And then resets the, uh, resets the connection. And so I went further and I listened on UDP as well. Um, that's <laughs> which, not, were you using some, uh, Scapy or I, I'm just curious on the the actual handshake across every port. No, the handshake is true Python sockets. So you're just doing sockets. Uh, okay, cool, sweet. Yep, straight up sockets. Um, okay. And so <clears> I, I took it a step further. Um, not only am I listening uh, TCP, I'm listening UDP, and I'm also listening for ICMP yeah. traffic. And I'm actually going to take it one step further and do a raw socket uh, for for anything else, probably. Right. Um, but so that that's what bore, uh, born the uh, project um, called Tachyon Net, which is unfortunately not a good not a good name as we've just learned. But we're, we're going to change the name. <laughs> well, if to you're Tachyon. going for speed, since Tachyon is supposed to be a uh, faster than the speed of light and higher, right? Its base is speed of light, and then go higher when you think about it from the thing. We definitely want to choose whatever the answer is. For, uh, what you bind to or send it to has to be fast, right? Yeah, so, exactly. And and when you're listening on all ports, I found you want to use some discretion because yeah, I was trying UDP, to imagine that with UDP. Right. Imagine if it's listening on port 53. And oops, I just black holed all my DNS responses. <laughs> why can't I get to the internet anymore? I don't understand. Oh, wait a minute. I know why. <laughs> Yeah, you do need to be a little careful on what box you deploy it. It's really. Well, right. I had some hilarious moments. Like, why isn't the, oh that makes perfect sense now? <laughs> so, so one of the one of the first things, just talking about the project a little bit further, one of the very first things I ran into, which which I was aware of already, mm-hmm. but anybody who's written anything like this 
suddenly realizes that the standard kernel limits in any Linux kernel, yes. the number of file descriptors right. you can open, is typically 1024. Yes. Well, if you're opening 65,535 ports TCP and then 65,535 well, ports That's what I was trying to figure TCP, out. How are you need you a shitload that? more file descriptors. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, that's what I was trying to figure out. So were you doing – so in just the technical, because I haven't seen the code, but – that's why I was asking where you're using Escapee. Are you picking up, like, okay, whatever port picks up, and you're doing a, I got to receive on this port promiscuously, and then responding? Or are you actually opening up all the ports, and then no, just I'm waiting? No, I'm opening for- up every socket in the okay, kernel. So it takes a while for net set to So scroll. have you tried it the other way, where you could actually just <laughs> emulate based on the received promiscuous value and say... I'm going to respond back to that based on that port because I picked this up promiscuously. That no, might be I, something I, I more scalably, right? If we were talking speed, right? Just thinking um, you could pick it up and say, okay, I'm just going to do a conditional statement that says I saw this on this tra- this port, and then you know I'm going to yeah, yeah. do it. So, so it's a good question, Lance, but in, in the past when I've tried things like that, right. uh, you have to suppress the kernel response because yep. – the TCP stack on the kernel is, is going to send a TCP reset if there's nothing listening on that socket. Right. Oh, uh, so you had to open it. I got it. Yeah. Oh, so plus, you if wanna... you're not behind a firewall, you're going to have weird issues anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So and you want to complete easier. the handshake because in the permissions right. mode, you might just get the sin. Then if well, that's what I was going to say is you emulate that afterwards. But, yes, you you're still – Yeah, yeah. I got you. What Lance yeah. is saying is you can emulate. But if, if you emulate it, you have to suppress – the kernel reset Response, yeah. so right. that you can emulate the Synac. Oh. Right, because it's going to control it because it starts at the IP ID, then goes to the yeah, ISN, right, and then right, goes over right, right. yeah, yep. yeah. So the other issue that you run into, uh, and people say, well, you use Scapey, and, and, and Scapey is a great project, don't get me right. wrong. But I've written some uh, pretty extensive projects in the wireless space, particularly with Scapey, mm-hmm. and you run into performance limitations mm-hmm. fairly quickly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that that doesn't scale very well when you're trying to do things like this. So hence hence I came around to the socket solution. So what this thing does, and I'll, I'll share a window here as I run it. Um, what this thing does is listens on all sockets uh, with a whole bunch of flags that you can configure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, opens the sockets. Now, one of the other things I, I, I learned very quickly was um, – if you are trying to test this thing and you are listening on every single socket, mm-hmm. um, guess what? You have no more ephemeral but, ports that you can use. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if you try to test it from localhost, you're screwed, <laughs> hmm. um, which is kind of interesting. So here's the help on it. It's just TN uh, for Tachyon Net, and here's the kind of options you have. It's a Python program. Mm-hmm. Um, you can bind it to an address. By default, it binds to all addresses on the box. Mm-hmm. Specify a min TCP port, a max TCP port, a min UDP port, a max UDP port, a buffer size that you can pass in for listening, the number of threads that you will uh, listen on, uh, and then you can suppress listening on UDP or TCP or ICMP if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, by default, the thing opens up uh, 32 threads for TCP and 32 threads for UDP and divides the ports up amongst those threads, mm-hmm. and then it opens a single thread up for the ICMP traffic. Right. Um, it does uh, log to syslog as well. Um, you can nice. specify a syslog facility. It'll use default uh, default user uh, and listens for traffic uh, on every possible socket. And like Paul said, the netstat output is is, is kind of funny. Um, you can stick the um, – so if you run it by default, um, for example, if I just ran it like this, uh, it puts the output in the foreground and goes ahead and opens up all the sockets – and the default settings allow you to run it as a non-privileged user, and you'll get 1024 to 32768 in both TCP and UDP cases. So okay. I, I have one question. 
yeah. uh, if I may. Um, so what did you do about the fault? Did you have to actually, do you have to configure file descriptors to be, to be able to support yes. this? Yes. yes. Okay. So let me. Um, yeah, that's probably most important for before they run this. I was just thinking yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. True. And every I, Linux distribution, and even depending on which yeah, version, yeah, no, of I know. Linux I remember. Running, it, I <laughs> this thing is like it. you're gonna just hog everything. Uh, also, yeah, so in, yeah. in the Ubuntu case, just to, to raise that point, there's uh, EtsySecurityLimits.com, mm-hmm. and if you jump down to the bottom of this file, I dropped in a couple of lines here. But for every user, the number of file descriptors is up at five hundred thousand. Uh, in this file, and that's how you would configure that in the Ubuntu case. Uh, I dropped a line in there for root. For some reason, it didn't include root in the wildcard. I don't quite know why. Um, it's a maybe feature. Why does it by design? It is in the security, so they're probably trying to secure, like basically the 1024 below is probably something they didn't want you messing with or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah, It's a feature. <laughs> so that, yeah. that drops, that drops our, our socket limit up to 500,000, which is sufficient uh, to support um, the usage of this thing. So, it's, like my, it's like my segue. You have to put so many miles on it before right. it lets you go over three miles an hour, and then it lets you go over yeah. six yeah, another miles Another question an hour. is, Does it? what happens if you have a, a port that's already open that is not binded to? Will it error, or will it just accept and move it, on? It errors. I'll show you some of the logs in just a minute. Um, so here, here I'm running in the foreground. It's listening. Um, and in the foreground, it just gives you a, like a you know, little spinny thing and gives you the default output, right? So I'm going to open another window here, which you won't be able to see. But I'm just going to connect to the box that's running it mm-hmm. and just um, send a few w- w- bytes to it with uh, Netcat. Mm-hmm. Um, just give me a second to. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't a good way to find out that all your ports better be off first. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, so. you do. Yeah, it, it, it you won't. see what you see what happened when I, I did a Netcat to port one two three four and right. it logs here mm-hmm. the number of connections and the number of bytes and it just gives you that running counter. I think that's one of the features you implemented. Uh, well, I was like, Job, I really need like an exclude these ports from the thing. Like, I want to just tell it to listen on all, exactly. but I just want to exclude like SSH right. so I can still get into the box. Well, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is it, 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 you? You might want to have that just because I was thinking also Raspberry Pi potential, right? Yeah. But you well, can just let, let, let wrap it down. That. Yeah. Let, let yeah. me show you that log. Also, if yeah. I just ping the box, for example, if I ping ten ten one thirty, which is my box here, uh-huh. um, it's. See how the ICMP counter incremented, so it's logging that stuff and putting it to disk, right? Right. right. So let me let me get out of the uh, the system because I'm only sharing one window, and I'll show you the logs. Um, so by default, it'll create a .tachyonnet directory, mm-hmm. and it creates tn.log here. Mm. Okay, and when it first opens up, um, not only does it uh, it logs every connection, but actually I'll do a more on this thing. Um, it also tells you if it had an error binding a port, and it'll just skip over that one. If it so, I'm using SSH, right? And it right. skipped over SSH, mm-hmm. so it, it's able to handle that condition um, in, in the port binding. I have a little bug here. This one is a bug. I think one of the threads is tripping over one of the other threads. Um, that port is actually being bound. Are you actually using straight um, like multi-threading there? Or are you doing like G events or what are you? No, it's 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 actually straight up Python threading. So threading. it's not okay, cool. process. It's yep. Python threading. Yep. Um, so the other thing that's cool about this is it creates a, a log structure that includes the current date, and then any connection you make, it logs it as the source port, desk port, desk IP, and dot .log, right, with the protocol in it. Mm-hmm. So everything, every single thing is logged. If the same port pair comes through, it just goes ahead and appends to the same file. Oh, nice. Um, so, you know, the ICMP, for example, I was doing pings. Well, pings have a payload of, you know, 
ASCII zero one two three four five six A B C D etc. Right. Depending, um, depending on the operating system, right. sending depending on the operating system, right? right. TCP. I think I typed in a few odd characters here. There's the TCP logs, right? You might want to do a session state. So, like, say it is another thing that's hitting into it or something. You have it where it can say that's one and that's two. So if it depends to the log, at least it has like kind of a break for session state. Yeah, that, that's actually a good point. Yeah. I might actually put in a little header in there. In yep. between. Um, the also thing is, you know, you got Vilog syslog here, and it is logging to syslog by default as well. Nice. So you get this kind of stuff coming out of syslog. Which but, is probably yeah. important for log rotation. Right. If you were to set this up. <laughs> Let's just load all yeah. this up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? So, I, you know that's what's awesome, interesting, Jeff? That's very um, awesome. I'm, I'm thinking this this has, like, other uses. If I want to get, like you said, that's a Raspberry Pi, mm-hmm. and just, yep. like, drop this on the network, mm-hmm. like, yep. just drop it on the network. If it's something that no one else should be hitting, it's, like, a neat little honeyport to run in your network. Well, another thing, it would be, especially on the internal side of it, uh, imagine what you might discover. Uh, imagine, have you played with Apache Tika? No. Okay. So Tika and some of the other Apache projects are great for, like, content extraction and, like, doing, like, uh, named entity recognition and, like, things that you can categorize your data very quickly, right? right. Similar to what Elasticsearch and Kibana do for yeah. some basic stuff. So even with an elk, right? Any of these kind of systems, though, the way you can pipe it back in is you could actually probably parse out, like, if there is something in your network that's nasty, mm-hmm. right? You're going to, you know, you can look at this thing and, and just kind of get a kind of a view, a view of... All right, what's binary? What's not binary? What's this? What's exactly. this normal? And you can parse out like known entities, right? Yep. You know this. Um, and if you make a filter, you could probably say, well, what, uh, what's, um, you know, like, I mean, you could, oh, you could have fun with this with Elk, actually. Well, well, you could the, have a lot well, of fun with know, this. Well, I'm, I was going, I'm yeah. going down that road, actually, Lance. I'm thinking a, a number of things. I'm thinking maybe sticking Bro on a, on a, on a box right. with it. Yeah, right. Um, and then feeding the output of, of, um, and actually, this is bro and, and Suricata, because Suricata might pick up some stuff too off yeah. of that data, right? Yeah. So, well, yeah. what's interesting too is when you just put this uh, tachyon to be named something later on your. <laughs> Sorry, on your, I feel like I'm ruining no, that today. No, no, um, I'm crying now. I'm crying. If, if anyway. you just take it on a box, though, like immediately you're going to see, and you tell us to listen to every single port, actually, you're going to see all this broadcast. Let's just yeah. call it tack garbage. on because we're going to be tacking on a bro. We're going to be right. tacking yeah. it on to this. Let's go ahead and <laughs> run that. I mean, so, if we run it on all ports just to prove the point right. um, you can actually do this <laughs> so you have all ports turned off now <laughs> we can we can we can actually do this right and, right and it cranks up and i just ran it in daemon mode so it's running in the background right, right? okay and then we go PM's tail running. we can tail the logs right we, we can tail the logs and we can look at our net stat and go oh my yeah God. Net stat. <laughs> right. right it's like a net I mean, stat denial service this thing on every freaking Right, but if you put a box in there that's unheard of, and suddenly you put it in there, and it starts getting hits outside the ARP requests and the standard stuff you get hey, off the, the network. Um, the I saw the Apple one all over the place. Yeah, uh, they have the ARP uh, SSDP or the yeah, SSDP, um, and then they have the. Um, uh, well, is, it's from their stupid. Um, what's what it called? It called the Bluetooth. The, um, what is the? Oh my airdrop, god! Airdrop. Uh, uh, airdrop. Bonjour. You're thinking about bonjour. 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 Thank you. Okay. It's all based on yeah. bonjour. So you see okay. a ton of bonjour. Right, but if you mm-hmm. filter out those, right, you might yeah. actually. If you did straight out TCP dump style, does BPF filtering still work in Python? Right, so mm-hmm. oh, so sure like we yeah. could do BSD packet filter uh, filtering through this, right? And in that way, if you could send it, like um, I'm thinking C here, so I don't remember how it would be done in Python, but I remember writing some code that would literally just use the the a flag that does a BPF like TCP dump, yeah, yeah. and you can filter out the bonjours. And then if anything hits your thing, you're going to be like, why is hitting me why outside it, of that anyway right. why does it even looking for me right internally yeah, that, in your that, network that's a, that's a really good suggestion to put put some sort of flag that suppresses 
certain traffic. Right, right. right. Or, or you yeah. can control it around BPF. Uh, does does Python have a BPF library? Yeah, I'm well, sure it, uh, it there's, okay. P, there's PCAPI. Um, yeah, yeah, that'll work. Okay, okay. yep. Um, and so there's, there's ways. Again, oh, you're going to packet capture, not a Check out this one, actually. Uh, can you go to a website real quick? Can not we show? Work. Okay, do, can you? who's got that thing right there? Joff. Um, oh, oh, that's me. So uh, go to haka-security.org, and this might be something useful for with your tool. I just learned about this. H-A-K-A. No, H-A-K-A. Yeah, So because I was looking at HAKA, but I found out, no, it's HAKA, right? So check this out, yeah. H-A-C-K-A? No, just that, yeah. Yeah, and then you go. H-A-K-A.org? No, dash-security.org, H-A-K-A-dash-security.org. This sounds like a New Zealand thing. It might be. But it works for uh, oh, okay, yeah. That so right. this could be very powerful yes. too with it, right? So software defined security. Okay, yeah, interesting. Right, and it's got a protocol grammar. Right. It's got a, this. It's something so you, you can, can profile probably, bonjour. So it's not just and it works on with Elasticsearch and Kibana, so we right. could work yeah. with that data into so that. So it's not just port. You can basically yeah. profile. This is bonjour traffic, and Correct. so you can like say ignore all yeah, bonjour so the, traffic. So this, so this yes, might be a player like when you're talking about bro, but this also might be another player you put in the middle to 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 massage the data you're picking out. Yeah. 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 So interesting. Interesting. Anyway. I think um, so. Let me stop sharing screen here for a second. So I, I, I think this would be interesting, Joff, to throw on a Pi and shut down all the services, connect to it over serial or yep. something of the like. Yeah, that's and, exactly and, where uh, I was going. I've, yeah. I've, I've got my Odroid here, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, so which I, I like better than the Pi platform. And I think shipping it as a as a little appliance, uh, like you said, just just with serial configuration, yep. uh, it makes a great little box. Now I can see two uh, places that might be interesting to throw that. Put that on uh, an IP on your external network. And see what it pulls from the internet. Right. Then go into your internal network and set up a new route for an internal class that you mm-hmm. should be using right. internally, and put it the only box right. out in see the low if, end yeah. of that. that well, we used to just monitor. Yeah, so see, I used to. So that yeah, that's that'll that's look a, for scanners. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in the yeah. university, we would just monitor with NetFlow, right? Yeah, Job, exactly. You, Paul, yeah. Paul, I was just we going. There. I used there. to actually yeah. go further than that. I used to have. Um, so I've suggested this to actually some customers once in a while. You know, most people have something like a, a class B on the inside of the network, and it's divided up and subnetted in some way. There is, you know, everything in in the routing world as long Ooh. as prefix match. So there's nothing wrong with putting a short prefix route mm-hmm. that goes to some sort of black hole box. Mm-hmm. Well, putting this as the destination to the short prefix uh, route is a perfect solution to find out what's going on in your network right. that is not legitimate subnets, so, right? Back yeah. scatter, and then, and then you name it. If we know? receive a packet from someone, we can just end map them back and store those results as well. <laughs> there again goes offensive <laughs> countermeasures. Offensive countermeasures. So, actually, so I, I think a combination of this and bro, actually, in the same little pie mm-hmm. or same little odroid would be a great little solution. And another powerful idea with this, and again, I don't know what tools do this automatically, but have you heard of Yara? Y-A-R-A? Yeah, yeah, so, okay, yes. okay. So Yara and obviously Suricata signature, yeah. auto signature development, or at least the auto, like, hexadecimal development for like, okay, I want to position this in a malware uh, Yara, Yara thing so that if then you can go and pass it to virus total. Right and yeah. do a hunt yeah. and say, what is this related See, I, to? I think, Jeff, we need to hire Lance on to Tachyon not .net. We Tachyon Lance <laughs> to... So Tachyon Lance is the, as so the, right as now, the architect I mean, small, for this Small project. sneak preview Great. announcement. I believe Tachyon is going <laughs> to appear... Uh, in the ADHD distribution uh, from nice. from Black Oh, Ghost, cool! Because I actually we should talk about ADHD and hackers someday. Yeah, and then the Linux and then we'll build um, a GUI for it, and we'll just sell it through offensive countermeasures. Yeah. Well, right. well, my good fr- my good friend and boss John <laughs> yeah. Strand, when he saw it, was like, "Oh, that's cool. We're going to put that in ADHD." Dude, so ADHD is awesome, by the way. That that, yeah, that is well, an awesome you. Linux distro. So 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 we're we're going that direction anyway. 
bottom line is uh, I was really excited about it, about the idea, uh, and it came to fruition pretty much on this show. So thanks yeah. to everybody brainstorming about it, and I, I birthed this thing, and I think it's going to be a great little tool. So. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna definitely uh, share it out too. So it's available on the website? Or? Did you pu- it is available on the website. Let yeah. me, uh, it's bit. Right now, we may change this, um, but right now, let me uh, just go ahead and just put it up as a URL. Yeah. Uh, hold is on. it also going to be a GitHub, or are you setting by a There's GitHub? A bit, uh, it is. A, it's a Bitbucket. Oh, Bitbucket. Uh-huh. Perfect. Okay. Um, bit.ly slash tachyonnet uh, should get us there. Or you, yeah, check, or you so, check the link in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put a link in the yeah, show notes. Check there the is, link there in the one. show notes, but I'll just, just, just to prove it. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I got more architectural ideas to keep talking about <laughs> this thing. <laughs> Dude, he's he's like all over it. Well, I am I'm definitely open to suggestions, so Lance, please bring bring your suggestions. Yeah, we should have like an honorary salad shooter for, for Lance. That's my was my nickname. <laughs> salad shoot, and there's a salad shooter right there. That's my salad shooter. You hey, can hey, have my um, salad shooter. It's on the, on the shelf up there, but we it's should awesome. we should like present you with an honorary salad shooter. So, so it's great. <laughs> just, just you're gonna have that, to do you're gonna have to do salad shooter it, challenge isn't coins. Isn't that going yeah. to be a a drink with just special ingredients in it. Don't we call that the honorary salad, salad shooter? <laughs> That's a different drink. All right, Joff, thank you very much. Bit.ly slash tacky on net. Thank Don't you very it. much. With that, we take a short break, come back and talk about the stories Broadcasting for this live. week. <laughs> That's awesome. You could spend hours every day trying to keep up with the latest vulnerabilities, exploits, security news, and research. Or you can tune into Paul Security Weekly, where Paul Asadorian and his illustrious cast of hosts not only entertain, but cover all the latest security news and information. Each week, Paul and crew perform interviews with the industry's finest, offer both technical and non-technical advice, and cover the breaking security news. Subscribe today at securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe, then grab a cocktail and hack naked. Hacking naked is optional, but recommended. Tenable Network Security, creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Jumpstart your security program today and evaluate Security Center CV, the continuous monitoring solution. For more information, visit them on the web at tenable.com. ProXPN is the leading VPN service, offering free accounts, excellent premium features, and an outstanding commitment to privacy and security online. Use the discount code WEEKLY and save 50% off for life. NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with a proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email them at contact at netsparker.com. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is the security news for this week. I wanted to start off with something really funny the ponies have been awarded and did anyone yeah. go to the pony awards at, at black hat no, were you a black no. hat yeah i was it's, but i didn't uh, i didn't attend the pony awards either but uh there are a lot of great great kind of recap of the year um but a very much humorous approach to it the best song this year is completely epic um if i play it on the show youtube's probably going to flag our, our video for the, the song because it's like a spoof of another song oh. um, but it, it's actually uh, someone you might recognize uh, who's been on the show before uh, Katie Mazuris oh yes is, oh uh, Katie's awesome at, uh, KiwiCon and she wrote a uh, song she performed that's her performing that's her on that like spinny circle thing wow that's actually her performing the, this song it's like a spoof 
The link is in the show notes to the video. Mm-hmm. I strongly encourage everyone uh, to watch it. Cause it's hey, hey, so so last time we got into uh, this kind of trouble with YouTube, remember that email I got, Paul, where they were recommending other sites to visit? Yes. Yeah. Associated with Security Weekly, there were some very interesting sites. I bet. I yeah. I think the search on our website, the internal search thing is broken, but I, I, I think it just returns no results found. But I was searching securityweekly.com for maturity because I was looking for the vulnerability maturity model that we covered oh, to send to yeah. someone. And I searched the site for maturity, maturity and it said no results found. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which I thought was just classic. Immature. Classic. <laughs> you just have to put hack naked and security. That's in right. Maturity. That's Sorry. right. <laughs> and then you'll get some things that you will never want to see again. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Where do we want to start this week? Uh, there's just so oh much. And you know what? Uh, I was sitting down this morning. I'm like, man, there's like no news. And then, bam! bam. My it was, fuck. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable amount of news we have to cover uh, this week. Apple, you know start, Apple starts a bug bounty program. Apple starts a bug bounty program is but, a great place but, to start. But it's invite only. Oh, oh really? interesting. I didn't know that. You mean they're not going like bug crowd? Or, nope. Or those? They well, I found a bug already then. What's that? So S mime bug, right? On their iPhone, it's more of a. It's not a bug bounty worth thing, but it's annoying. So uh, when you re, when you up your 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 key or you redo your S mime key, it, you ha- it does not like address that. It like tries to send to the old key, right? Hmm. Interesting. And oh. so you have to literally go in and find an old email, uninstall it. Now the ironic part is they've we the bug there's like tons of people have been asking to fix yeah, this yeah i just find it funny that they've been prioritizing security both against the fbi or whoever <laughs> yeah, but yeah. when it comes down to the actual encryption that that people are using no one's yeah, actually no, like no you know oh well we'll get to that bug they give you twenty five thousand yeah. for ways around apple's digital compartments into its and into its customer data fifty thousand dollars for bugs that have ga- give hackers away into icloud data and Two hundred thousand to turn over critical vulnerabilities oh, in Apple firmware. We're gonna get broke real quick. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yes. so the, the problem is you have to be in the invite-only program, and you already sort of they've reached out to a bunch of folks, and you have to approve. Oh, you mean it's like a vetted group of already yes. like selected people? Yes. So it's like it's the political. It's club. like all the pwned own winners, and that's it. But that's not really <laughs> fair, like no. right? It's not because like the firmware ones are gonna be like you know what's it's worth one, more than two hundred thousand. Be able to jailbreak this it, phone. It's it's, <laughs> it's one of those. Kind kind of things it's like apple did this great thing for security but they're just so close and not quite yeah there. so what are they gonna do invite the jailbreaker so that rather than letting people jailbreak they're like you know what i think I'm gonna we're just gonna pay you off to yeah. keep it quiet i'm gonna take the 200k i'm gonna report it to apple and they can fix it whatever they want so what you should do is just say i'd like a two hundred thousand dollar a year or where however often you up your date your firmware right i'd like a two hundred thousand dollar year salary every year that's all that's they do is find mm. them all and just pay them a well then you have to show up to work i mean if you just like <laughs> no, 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 no no you know they're gonna break it just yeah. go hey i won't say anything this time, move I just on. Queue up a whole, you know, queue up a whole bunch as much <laughs> as money. And then, yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, how I want to ask you this, Lance. How many zero days do you think Uncle Sam is sitting on? All of them. All of the zero days. Um, let's see. Researcher tried to put a number on that. Uh, Healy acknowledged that they'd probably never know the true number of zero days hoarded no. by all the government agencies. Which, thanks, Captain Obvious, for that. The article didn't so, really get into how so he was the, counted. They did some um, economic analysis about how much money was budgeted here and there. So here's the thing, which, which is funny about these things, is that 
each government has separate si- like they're siloed and they have their own budgets. And if you sell one to the NSA, you might also sell it to the same like right. to the FBI or whoever, right. right? Like I'm just giving you know things. Sure. So but they, you can actually overlap and sell it twice yeah. in through that, but it's still considered an exclusive mm-hmm. depending on the agency, right? So it's really interesting on what do they define as how many have been sold versus how many exploits that are well, or unique, my, right? And my whole so, thing too is like, like first, like plus who, you got to remember the NSA has a CNE program; they're developing their own too. Absolutely, right? they are. so yeah. But but like, who cares? How many? I mean, right. the the number. Let's assume they have weapons. Yeah, the <laughs> yes. number is irrelevant. If digital got, armaments. But right. here's the thing: if you've got one really good, good one, one from Microsoft Windows, eh, you're in good shape, right? right? right. You can right. get into a lot of. Uh, countries that would be interesting yeah, for us to, it, to, to, to penetrate into. By the way, did it you ever... It takes one or two. Did yeah. you, you guys ever think one. about that, though? So the... the You guys would know the ITAR, right? The whole ITAR. So ITAR is basically, if you are weaponizing you know, packets and, and stuff yeah. and exploits, You some of the stuff you have to ITAR register. ITAR is a government thing that allows you to say you can't sell it to XYZ. Kind of like crypto, crypto regulations yeah. and a few other things. Right, right. Iran is on that list, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Stuxnet for a second. Mm-hmm. So, Windows doesn't sell to Iran yet. The subterfuge was written run, like running Windows machines, yeah. and of course, you know this technique that we talk about about exploitation. They don't need zero days because yeah. they don't allow them to update. Because yeah, if Microsoft they gets those IPs from Iran, they don't have the update protection, right? They'd have to literally start their own Microsoft and find a have to funnel those updates into that one and then there. Because you've got to remember, Microsoft's going to block the Iran IPs. They're going to log them, report them to the government. Yeah. Well, I'm making a hy- uh, hypothetical, but I'm assuming they probably they just, are going to report need, them to the government. They just need MSOE to 67. Correct. <laughs> right. But what I'm getting at is <laughs> you don't even need zero days for the, co- the countries right. we sanction, right? You know, because they, North Korea can't run yeah, windows. So like another thing. We speak of that, the Sony attacks. They, they, they talk about why was it South Korean language. Well, North Korea, there's no locale for it in Windows because, <laughs> right, right? right. It's, it's China is what uh, they would right. use. In, in, so, no, right? So there's these good. little interesting things about like, well, mm-hmm. the sanctioning itself reduces the amount of zero days you might need in the government mm-hmm. for certain countries of interest to us. Right. 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 So how many do we actually need versus like, and where are they? You know, the bigger, better question is not sitting on, but where are they pointing to? Yes. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. And there's a tangential issue there, which I don't necessarily want to get into right now, but but it, it, the exhaustion of just, just stating it quickly, the exhaustion of IPv4 and the tertiary market of reselling V4 on networks <laughs> uh, is is basically screwing everything in mm-hmm. terms of the you know geolocation, so uh, yeah. on, on IP. Um, there was a flaw in Samsung Pay, go figure. Uh, that let hackers wirelessly skim credit cards. Now, th- th- no details are released. Someone is claiming to do this. But the, the interesting part of this story is not the fact that some payment system that's on your phone is vulnerable. Us in the community, we kind of imagine that there's payments involved, and it's on a phone, and this one is on Android phones. There's going to be a vulnerability. What could possibly go what wrong? What could possibly go wrong with that combination? Right. What, could, what could go the, wrong? The WTF <laughs> moment is Samsung's response who says, even though there's a video on YouTube that shows the person doing it. Now, it may or may not be true. I'll, I'll give mm-hmm. you that. But Samsung says, Samsung Pay is built with the most advanced security features, assuring all payment credentials are encrypted and kept safe, coupled with the Samsung Knox security platform. If has you use not, it. Have, <laughs> they have not fixed the vulnerability or acknowledge that the vulnerability me? exists. Oh my. Now, again, there's just 
a random YouTube video from a researcher that says that... Right. That, so what it is, it comes out, and when it comes to intelligence, they haven't verified or gotten confidence in it yet. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but it does show the person skimming uh, Samsung Pay and replaying the credentials. Do we Something know about the, the token uh, reuse issue. You mean a, you mean a, a session fixation session issue? Fixation. I mean, uh, that's <laughs> kind of what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Details are kind of light in the article, but yeah. 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 Yep. Interesting. Uh, so, you know, they can still say it was encrypted and everything, but it doesn't mean it didn't stop a replay attack. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> we use encryption. We just didn't yeah, put we, authentication we use encryption. on it. We didn't use HMAC. Dang it. I just, I just don't. <laughs> we use encryption. Web's encryption, right? <laughs> right, right. I just we, don't. We, we I use don't, SSL. Like my <laughs> level of trust for Samsung when it comes to security vulnerabilities, the fact they make TVs that allow people to spy on you. And they make those refrigerators, which have to be vulnerable to, to some. Like the, it, I just know. And you have smart. Th- and you have smart things in your house. And I have smart things. In my house. <laughs> I do. You know, the more smarter they become, the sm- less we smart we are because we keep owning yeah. them. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I have the locks and thermostats, probably several of which were hacked at this uh, year. You know what, con. Paul? It doesn't have to be just about smart locks. By the way, I had I went through an exercise recently. Which probably would be no surprise to those who pick locks, and I do occasionally pick locks, um, where I changed out the locks on the house. You know why? Because I took out, I took one of the locks, picked it in no less than 15 seconds, and I'm like, holy shit, this thing is like a 25-year-old lock. It's got to be updated. And I was actually gratified to find out that a modern lock manufactured from a, um, a quick set or a slate or whatever your yeah. vendor of choice is, Actually, is a lot more resistant to picking. I, I had a, mm-hmm. I bought two locks, one for the house, one for the the the, the lock picking um, uh, gear, and uh, I had a very very hard time yeah. picking the newer one yeah, versus the good. older one. The, the so. way that the way to decide if it's resistant is when their hand gets tired. If you can get it to their hands getting yeah, tired, exactly. when they're picking, you know, you win this yeah. war, right? It's a war of attrition when it comes to lock picking. You mm-hmm. know, I, I <laughs> totally thought he was talking about masturbation. About so, so speaking, <laughs> speaking about keys, it depends on what lock. No, yeah, speaking about keys, uh, your story number thirteen and one that I also had. Well, that Microsoft proves backdoor keys are a terrible, or terrible idea. Yeah. So this really means that on devices that uh, you do not allow or allow you to disable the secure boot, such as the ARM based and Windows RT tablets, uh, the key has been leaked, essentially allowing you to run Linux or Android on these devices. Well, that's just the old DRM thing, right? I think that's freaking sweet, to be honest with you. But I don't know if it has other repercussions uh, to enterprise security. So here's the thing. So what what else can Secure Boot run on? Will Secure Boot work on a PC? Yeah. So if I can unlock Secure Boot, what do I get access to on a regular PC? Yeah, you get access to the PC. Yeah. That requires physical access. So, but if I have physical access, it's intended to be restricted secure, for me right. to do, right? So why do they keep using symmetric keys to solve this problem then, right? So, for instance, yeah. we, yeah. we have key exactly. rings, yeah. right? <laughs> they can be public. You right. can Microsoft can add themselves to the key ring mm-hmm. for their needs, right? There is no leak other than someone stealing that person's key ring from the secret side of it. But, I mean, the, the, there you can even have a passphrase to that. So go ahead and steal that, right? right? I mean, it, so, it blows my mind. Why do, why do people keep implementing crypto Wrong. Exactly. Is yeah. really, well, is it's because really people do not understand. It. it is an esoteric. So crypto, it was funny. I had an interview podcast for the 10th anniversary I2P. And the question on them from the, the, the I2P guys, so how'd you go from crypto to InfoSec? And I'm like, I thought they were all related, right? So in their world, crypto is separate. InfoSec is separate, right? Um, so it is really interesting to, to see that because in my world, I was like, I thought crypto, like that's why I got into crypto is I thought that was, you know, mm-hmm. what we're safeguarding stuff, right? So that's why, you know, so it's, it's I think it's just. I, I've actually I busted an application this year. I think 
was a zero day because they were using a static uh, a static key yep. in the source code. Well, we do that <laughs> all the time with malware, right? Right, right? right. So ransomware is the only thing that's changed there, and that was why ransomware is scary now. Is the mm. the dual key the, the 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 cool thing though? Is I'm seeing a lot of the cheaper ones are using 768 bit. So if anybody knows uh, has a number field civ uh, civ. Uh, what's still blowing my mind, Lance, is that the, there are published key exchange algorithms, right. published standards. I know. I saw that today. Actually, I was <laughs> looking at some homegrown guide. No, this this was a. a this Ran is a tool on. that was out there, written by some guy, literally compiled two days ago, um, and it went all the way up to sixteen thousand, whatever the is it three eighty six or something, uh, you know the the four x of basically four thousand ninety six or whatever. Um, of RSA, and we like, we, okay, let's try that. And I was testing the how long it would take. I'm like, wow, this is going to take a about 25 minutes to, to generate this key, right? <laughs> so, no, literally, it was like, generate the key. And then it's like, uh, so it was really funny because then their opinion of why, why they wrote it is they felt 2048-bit was weak. Um, and I guess they're thinking threat model is government or anti-government, Ooh. right? But right. I'm like, you know, no one, 16,000 is overkill and very expensive on your computer. And, like, no one really understands the actual crypto itself. Um, and it, why aren't they using elliptic curve for that matter? That's that's where I'm at with it. It was like, look, it, okay, let's talk web apps, right? You know, people talk oh, about like the, the, off the transparent databases, you know, like where they're like, oh, we should secure the data at rest with the, in the data. And then people yeah. write like symmetric key web apps that like literally I'm like, if you hack the web, you, you, you get it anyways. It doesn't really matter, right? You got the login. It's the same thing. There was no point encrypting. Mm-hmm. So what it really comes down to is that's like, you know, we talked about two factor and people have that, but what you could do is it also could be my key ring is on that data. Mm-hmm. Your key ring is on that. We upload that. We share that in there. And those in the data at rest is encrypted. And it's like a it's a pseudo. Like I want to access that piece of data. I can put in my passphrase, or, or I yep. can, you know, shake in. And I don't understand why people haven't figured out there is. You know how long elliptic and like normal it's been around since the seventies when it yeah, comes down to the numbers. For, I mean, elliptic curve basically mathematically just just for the yeah. listeners mathematically <laughs> reduces the exponentiation problem down to an additive problem, right. which basically means it is a boon for efficiency. I mean, if you go back right. to the RSA problems uh, with key exchange, you're using exponentiation, which is very expensive right. to, right. to process. And right. elliptic curve effectively solves that problem. Mm-hmm. And and for, for particularly for mobile devices, yep. it's a battery saver. Yep. I mean, if nothing else. Yeah, instead a of huge. a field, it's a curve, which is great. It's yeah. hugely different. It's linear versus, yeah. yeah. yeah, so. yeah it's, it's, it's linear <laughs> versus exponential, yep. which, which is a massive, massive savings. And yet you look at OpenSSL, you look at these different things, everybody's you know, the different different web servers, just for one example, everybody's still defaulting to to um, the old the older key exchange algorithms using RSA and stuff. And this doesn't mean it's it's not strong. It means it's just not efficient. Right. Yeah, when you think scale, like when we think about signal and telegram and all these things, all the group messaging, they're having trouble scaling it. That's why I can't wait for one, both a homomorphic and multi-party crypto, right? Like, yep. uh, they're, they're, but we oh, technically wait, have it, especially if you use ZCDH, if the, the group is small enough. Mm. You know, when you're doing texting of your friends at Black Hat, it's mm-hmm. not like a group of, 300 people. It's like you probably set up like, what, 10, 15 people on your list. Yeah, yeah. You can, With ECDH, you can do that uh, fairly well with the, the ARM processors and stuff mm-hmm. like this. So, you know, and then when homomorphic actually gets, like, scalable, I mean, its biggest issue is big O, right? Like, if the, the data size is unpredictable, it can get, you know, you know heavy. So, but so, so it comes down to this, though. The, the, the practical application, the practical implementation of many of these things mm-hmm. are still using legacy technology. Yeah. Uh, and that has been effectively the thing that's been driving the information security. Well, people don't like change, it, you know, no, right. psychologically or technologically. Speaking, so. speaking <laughs> of which, 
Volkswagen. Did you see this one today? Nope, sorry. <laughs> it's also a lot of car hacking so, that happens. Oh, wait, we were on the Today, this is only going to fuel your soapbox. Yeah, today, yeah. Volkswagen, uh, in their remote keyless entry systems, um, it was found that for all the remote keyless entry systems, for 100 million Volkswagen cars, basically every one sold since 1995 that has remote keyless entry, plus all of the... Parts that are shared from the VW stuff to other manufacturers mm-hmm. have been found to use a total of, count them, four static crypto keys. Oh. <laughs> so, so what's that song from Total Recall? Hold on, hold on. Get recall, your ass to Mars. recall, recall. <laughs> right? What was that? Well, in the, in the backs of my article that came from IO Active, it basically said half of all cars that are on the road are today connected. are, are Connect, well, so connected cars or can be hacked. That's an interesting thing, though. So, like, I have the debate, right? So we saw Charlie Miller and them, like, stop the guy's car in the middle of traffic, which some people agreed and disagreed. That was a good idea. Um, poor journalist. <laughs> um, I think but, that like, won the pony war for what is that best on hack. So, so we can hack everything. Everybody knows this, right? You go to Black Hat, you realize can this. Can you know. hack everything? Wait, you, no. you can, can, can bus hack everything. Whether you do it or not. Yeah, bus hack. So, yeah, I love that. It's a car, but we hack the bus. Right. Um, <laughs> to a C and a can, but yeah. So, so, but my point is, is like no one's like really sitting. Everybody keeps doing the stunt work again, right? and this Ooh. is me on another sure. soapbox. Box. But what, uh, as an industry, we talk about interpersonal. We keep yelling at people. We're really loud. Hey, you broke this. You're stupid. Da 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 da. We've been doing this for years. But it was back when no one was listening. Now everybody's, every, you know, look at the news. Like yeah. you, you have stuff to talk about that people care about every single right. day now, right? So yeah, when people do, are listening. Yeah, people, people are, listening. are listening. When are we going to be responsible? So do we keep continuing going, hey, your cars are vulnerable? Or do we come out with something that says, here's a standard yeah. that we recommend? Because I think we got the point now. Matt, now let's start solving some problems. And I think you know that's a big need? problem. You know, what we, is that we need don't is do somebody that. to step up and be the Neil deGrasse Tyson of information security. Well, that's what we need. Yes, actually, I, I actually I did say this. I said we do lack leadership as a security community, right? We do a lot of yelling. We're very loud. Um, you know, I nominate Dave Kennedy. Dave, you listening? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, maybe it could be Dave. Um, I think it's something who has to be. Yeah, someone that has to be well tempered with media, though. Like meaning, it's more of a responsibility, not just hey, I got media. No offense against it, Dave. It is, I love Dave, not, but I know he also likes and enjoys it. So you know, look, it's not an easy job, and most <clears> yeah. of us. Let's face it. Most of us in the industry have, have very strong opinions, right? And f- for you to be a media spokesman, yeah, it's a okay hard job. to have strong opinions, but you have to be able to temper it and deliver it in the right well, way. Well, it's Ooh. it's like you can't have a. I'm going to joke here, but you can't have a Trump-like person going out and talking, spewing the info sex stuff. Like that literally does remind us of everybody going, "Hey, you're stupid. You're doing this wrong." But then right. there's what, no solution. So right? What do you think of the "I am the cavalry" movement? Who's, uh, from what I've heard, made a lot of strides in healthcare and in the automotive, or trying to make strides in the automotive. Who, industry. Is, who is this? Sorry, I am the cavalry movement. Oh, um, I mean that's a, that's a start, right? Like, I mean that's the thing. It's, it, but unfortunately, it always starts in movements. And then the, the thing that's scary is, uh, scary about movements is we are, f- again, we're fickle. Mm-hmm. We forget fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, how do you keep yeah, a movement? Move, movements are subject to friction, and They're, friction slows you down. Yeah, and then when people want to do it, as if you know, to start moving, they want to get a, a working group and another committee and this mm-hmm. and that. I mean, I literally have been like, I don't know how many. It's like there's a working group on mobile defense, and there's a working group on this. And mm-hmm. I, it's it's great that we want to do it, but everybody's got their coming in their agendas, right? So, yeah. I mean, we're actually also asking and looking for a unicorn. So I can't really talk, right? Like, I want to solve these problems, but we don't. We're looking for a unicorn to to save us, right? Uh, no, no. His, his. So. I mean, I know what the challenge is, and you, you guys can all relate to this. It's, it's not that intellectually interesting. There, most of the reason 
I believe that a lot of us geeky nerds are interested in this topic is because it's intellectually stimulating and very interesting. Right. Standing in front of a camera and being the Neil deGrasse Tyson, for lack of better words. Yeah, he's probably bored out of his mind, honestly. Yeah, it's probably not that interesting, right? Right. Now, I will give a plug straight up for Paul and that I think Enterprise Security Weekly is starting down this path. Right. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, and and starting down in a really good way because it's talking to an executive or starting to talk to an executive audience, which is one thing. But we're talking about getting beyond the executive yeah. audience and talking to the general public. Also, That's getting another level, and getting people to also break bread together. So your executives yeah. don't talk well to your to nerds, mm-hmm. right? Like I keep talking about. No, where is Santa? But that's how they see us. You know how many people yeah, like do, literally come up to me yeah. when they want me to fix their email and they were an executive, uh, and I'm an executive now. But like I hated this, and it felt like. Like it almost felt like digital racism. I don't know how to explain it. Um, but like, I would go, "Hey, I need some help with my email." You're not going to hack my computer, are you? <laughs> Fuck you. Okay, no, I don't care. Okay, and it's insulting. Actually, I'd come back with a, "Do you want me to?" But, <laughs> no, but it, it it did get insulting after yeah. a while, right? It's like, yeah, come sure. on, dude. Like that's oh, uh, park my car. You're not going to steal my car, are you? Right, that's yeah. what you're doing. The same thing. Well, and I right? think we we feed into that by running around conferences in in workplaces wearing black T-shirts with white text that says, "I read your email." <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean there or, is or a culture. That'd be like guys. the valets walking around well, with T-shirts like going, "I steal your car." Right. <laughs> No, and that is true. And I'm not saying let's get rid of the culture. No, no, no. And I, yeah. I agree. The valet's wearing T-shirts that say, I rifle through your glove box. Yeah. Right. But, you know, but, but, but my point is, even with those shirts, like that shirt right there should, should make me come up to you if I don't know and ask yeah. you, what does that mean? Right? Like, hey, you talk to me about that a little bit more. Well, in, in that sense, but in that sense, it's a good thing, too. That right. Both I Read Your Email and I Hack Charities are helping raise awareness Correct. as well. And I right. do agree. Actually, it's a very I've integral part very of the culture. Good. I've had some very, very Same good here. grocery store conversations mm-hmm. Same here. You, by wearing this T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Seriously. I've now, what kind at, of convers- I've, got, I've got the very extraordinarily offended you know, general public member go, what the, you know, what the, what, f- the what are you is that, is that wearing that for? Is that less or worse when you wear a hack naked T-shirt? Um, <laughs> I, I think it's less. I love the hack idea, though. The I, get, I get hot Tyson women with the hack naked one. <laughs> The Neil deGrasse Tyson of I, 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 InfoSec. I, I'm not going to ever forget that. That's a really good way of putting so, it. So I read a really bad article about how nobody knows what cyber attacks really cost. And after I read the article, I still don't know how much cyber attacks really cost. And I, I don't know how to measure. So the article was effective. I don't know how to measure right. how, how it, it much they you, cost. It, made, it got the point. You don't know. <laughs> oh, no, no, somebody put a metric out, right? Isn't it like $200,000 per data record or something? I, no. I actually, <laughs> I've heard it. It really depends on the company. I've met, uh, let's just call them a transportation company. When they got DDoSed for an hour, it cost them $45 million, but they measured it, right? They guys, 45. Now, this is a big, 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 big company, right? You know, um, or, or kind of like what happens when Delta's computers are down for a day. Right. Correct. It's actually in that realm of type of company, yeah. right? And so when it comes down to it, them being down, is disaster recovery time. It's like, it is a disaster. It is a highly cost, but that's, you know. That's measuring how much downtime. But no, but they, how much did it also did they lose out on that, right? You know, because transportation, it's all about delivery time. It's about when you get there. It's about right. delays. It's about, I mean, if you said, like, you take a Delta, or did you say Delta, right? Delta, so yep. if you take them and you throw them down for a whole day behind flights and stuff. Right. But if someone, <laughs> you know, but if someone breaks deal. into Delta and they still run and they just steal people's information, how much does that cost? I think that's the harder yeah, but the, question. It, it, oh, for breaches specifically? Yeah, for, breach, yeah. Yeah, for breaches. Yeah. That runs hard because... 
Half the time you didn't even know you lost your data, and it depends on who stole it, right? For instance, if it's OPM-style stealing, that data's not going to matter to you. Oh, good, a good example, though. Health companies. Health mm-hmm. companies is a big deal right now, right? Now, it's not a big deal in the market. So I deal with, obviously, the deep and dark web and everything. And we, <laughs> it's not health, unless it's targeted, health data is not that crucial right. to bad right. guys. Yeah. Right. What it's crucial to is holding it for ransom for the companies that it was stolen from. Mm-hmm. So it's figuring yeah, out how to utilize that data. We're going to sell you your own data back. You're going to sell you your own data back because we know that you will go out of business if you don't have this data and you'll get in trouble. Right. And so they figured out how to squeeze this. Again, another mm-hmm. coercion technique. But that is an interesting thing well, because how much would they cost? You could also bribe them and insist on cash and then burn it in front of them to make a point. It's not about the money. It's about sending a message, right? You know, so. <laughs> that was a reference. Those that have, have yes. seen, yeah, seen the reference will recognize the reference. 1.9, right? Yes. Mm. Yes. But yeah, no, that's, that's true. But health is seeing that where you can, might be able to get a number from it depending on how much they have, right, or but are concerned it's, with. It's, it's going to depend on, ha- on the consumer awareness um, largely to to the impact of breach. I mean, as soon as real big lawsuits come out, class action for yeah. consumers back on these companies, mm-hmm. oh. then it's going to cost. Saw money. that with banks, right? right? We saw yeah. that with banks. Um, yeah. We saw that with like that, and it's interesting because well, two. It depends on your breach. I've seen things where people are trying to say we're suing X Y Z because an advanced persistent threat came through. Well, if a nation state or a government came through, and our own government can't defend against it, I, I don't see that as a good case. Right? It's a hard case to to win, and you won't come up with the numbers. But if it is something like I lost this, and the bank could have done X Y Z about it, and everything, and it all comes down to standard of care, what they call the um, UCC four yep. A, which is um, it's not the uh, it's a um, uh, um, good faith, um, uh, good faith law. Basically, like, hey, did they act in good faith? Yep. Uh, did they do the industry the standards? So, in the bank side, you cite the FFIEC and say, did they follow these rules and and do their best uh, best foot forward, basically, to to safeguard? Or are they following basically today's standards in industry? The problem with that, though, is what's today's standard in industry when you do have APTs like mm-hmm. <laughs> breaking the barriers for us, right? Well, and there's a spinoff for the pen testing industry too, because <clears throat> we we get potentially hurt. Uh, if you know the, the the human kicks the dog kicks the cat, you know right. uh, kind of chain effect. Like, well, we you know we had a we had a pen test with you guys, and and um, we still got breached. You know, WTF over <laughs> that comes up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, well, had the, you, you had the pen test a month ago. The landscape changed in a month. Well, yeah. well or, or, or did you click on a phishing email? Yeah. Oh, that's why. Got it. Well, I mean, also, <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the, but there is that that business, the you know, time versus money issue that that's right. in the pen testing industry of like, you know, you will not find all the vulnerabilities. No, nope. uh, right. well, the they want something right. done in three weeks, and pen well, tests no, so can't be done had, in three I had weeks. An article says. about uh, they named it Project Sauron uh, malware. Yeah. It was hidden for five years. Yep. Um, they're claiming it's full state, framework. Full framework. They're yeah. claiming it's state sponsored. Yep. I don't think they have any true evidence other than it was very stealthy. And that it, it was made with Lua and the architecture behind it seemed like it was a team of people. It's, it's really, do you remember I Flame? I wanted to ask you, but this is your, this is this right is in your area, area, right? So, yeah. do you remember Flame? And after yeah. Stuxnet, yeah. Flame, Flame was a frame kit, like a James Bond Swiss, Swiss Army knife. So when you see stuff like Lua and you see the actual modular architecture and modular programming, uh, you end up, t- you, Usually guessing that that has been thought out by a CNE team, mm-hmm, a yeah. CNO team, right? So there, that's why that that is being made right now. I mean, um, uh, you know, there's no again, it's Stuxnet 
You know, yeah, you can't really yeah. prove it. That's the right. cool thing about like going against state sponsor too. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the sophistication and the organization it required and um, the time it took, if, five years, five years, really, five years to lay like, five years under yeah. the radar. Why do you want things to lay five years under the radar if it's not espionage? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so if you're an, uh, an attacker, you're going to profit on right. That there are two years. two types of attacker. You have an, uh, what they call APT. A is just recon, but organized persistent threat is what I call it usually. Mm-hmm. Or you have an uh, or you have an opportunistic persistent threat and those two big ones are and you know it's literally different motivators a five year sitting there is is a motivator to spy spy right and it's in the in the toolkits and everything like that the lua stuff is usually a it's a common language obviously Mm -hmm. but at the same time that modular architecture and that design usually shows object oriented Mm -hmm. thought out uh professional teams of people that have been like actually well that's some things they said about stuxnet too right there was very few or none they claim but i'm sure there's very few errors in the code is what they said right it's about that because you know how meticulous you have to be to stay five years and not like do anything i mean that's a mission Mm -hmm. (laughs) right Right. that's going to space and and, and staying out there for five years right like that's a freaking mission right yep now I, i will say the person that said that uh, it was characteristic of state-sponsored style malware was Graham Cluley. Mm. So yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of credibility behind yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's also and he's probably you know, not telling us everything too because there's it is yeah. state-sponsored you know style. So yeah, but, but just chaining <clears throat> on that, and I don't know, um, you know, uh, just for, for Larry, a bit of a question for Larry: how much, uh, how much in Guardians does? Uh, uh, does red teaming activities, but I'm a big fan of longer term pen tests, or, or what we would call red teaming activities, um, to kind of push back on that, right? To say, hey, you know, if you give us time and money, you mm-hmm. know, we will find interesting yep. angles in yep. your environment, but you've got to give us that time and money. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And you know, it's funny, this whole red teaming thing that's become the new sexy, actually, in Guardian sort of coined mm-hmm. a phrase to, to de- define that many years ago, and we called it no holds barred pen testing. Right. Yeah. Right. Actually, it's interesting. Uh, we um, we had some instinct. So when you see red teaming to the other side of it, of the intelligence stuff, um, a lot of the times the intelligence pickup side is it's not the infosec teams that are picking it up. It's some some of the cyber intelligence groups that are picking up the red team because they didn't know about the red team. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but we've actually had that even for our clients. We're like, actually, that's a red team going on. Here's the pen tester, and we track it down and stuff because they didn't know. We didn't know. Everybody know, but they're reacting on a, a thing. And so it's it's interesting because you are seeing malware written on the red team level. Sure. That it's not five year like living, but, but it, it, it is some of it sophisticated. Well, it yeah. gives me some some faith. I mean, John Strom was commenting on Enterprise Security Week earlier earlier today and said, you know, a lot of the solutions that we look to from vendors today in the security space can do a really good job. Some cases, or maybe not a good job, but they can find pen testers. But can they find the stuff that you're looking at? Right. You know? <laughs> right. But it's interesting that you can also find who they are. The, the penetration testers. Yeah. The, the well, we needed to confirm it. We thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I think that's an interesting segue to that, too. And that is, if you have to find a profile on a patent for a red team, mm-hmm. you know, you could actually be in a, in a, in a sort of postmortem uh, analysis perspective, really informative to that red team saying, hey, you guys stuck out like a sore thumb, and this right. is why. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, we literally went down to, here's the LinkedIn of the guy who specifically wrote this uh, this uh, piece, this exploit right, right. here for right. us. And, and that would, you know, that feedback loop would be very useful, cause the red mm-hmm. team to reevaluate and... and, and that's you know, what they do. And some, uh, We don't get commonly that issue, but it did come up, and we were like, 
I mean, on our side, we were like, yeah, we got that, right? But, like, mm-hmm. at the same time, it was news to them who was reporting it. And then, like, I'm sure it came back to the, by the way, here, here's, here's what we saw, right? And, and so it's becoming red team, blue team, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, yeah. um, it's, it would be impressive to see the blue team really, you know, whip some, some butt back, uh, right? Like, that, that's the idea. Because the red team's idea is to see the success of a blue team. We know people are going to get in. Come on. We know that someone's going to click on that link, right? Come on. I, I mean, we, we know this, it's right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> so it's attack surface reduction, right? So did, right. We, did, did we close that attack surface or did we isolate so that you can't get beyond that? Well, exactly. And, you know, did, they, did they shorten the dwell time when right. you got the SC2 channel? Right. Yeah. And is there, is there sock ready? Is their intelligence ready? Is their business continuity teams ready? Are there? Uh, it's a tabletop exercise these days against a real scenario, mm-hmm. right? So, Larry, yeah. you had some news from uh, from DefCon that I want to hear about. Uh, I want to hear about the badge hacking. I want to hear about the the wireless network because you were at DefCon. I don't know if any of us <coughs> here were you at DefCon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was not. I don't think Joff was either. So, no, yeah. I couldn't get out. So, I just yeah. was reading about it. So, so there was a there was a register article about the uh, Black Hat and DefCon wireless, and they sort of melded the two together. And Grifter is one. Of the yeah. guys that does mm-hmm. the, the network. Um, and they made some comments that were kind of like BS about running DriftNet and all this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, the DEF CON knock folks were like, no, we don't do do that. We have a secure network if you want it, mm-hmm. uh, or a relatively secure network mm-hmm. if you want it. And if you're dumb enough to use the open wireless network, you get what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> um, and trust we, me, it was being mucked with. Yeah. We, <laughs> we provide, and they're like, yeah, no, we don't do anything with this. We don't man in the middle stuff, but we provide a feed to like the Wall of Sheep folks. Mm-hmm. Just because it's an open wireless network, and okay. they could get it anywhere, so we're just it's the whole red team white card event, yeah. Type yeah. so, yeah, and so it was very much some clarity on that. Wallace Sheep always gets crap. Yep, and I like those guys. So I was, but those I guys was, are awesome. I, I, don't, I don't know yeah, why they're they far. So yeah. I was in the the packet capture village, the Wallace Sheep guys, uh, and I was very surprised. It was Saturday that I was there. Saturday morning. And, no, it was Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So we've been well into DEFCON at that point, and there were only five entries on the wall sheet. Hmm. But while I was standing there for the half an hour, two of them popped up. Mm-hmm. So it was... Uh, it was so, totally you know, someday, <laughs> if we ever hit that day where Wallace Sheep can't... Yeah. You know, it's just blank all day. Yeah. Right? Right? right. Maybe Maybe Either someone's dosing it or people are actually paying <clears throat> attention to what we say. Yep. Right. Right. Yep. And, uh, yeah, some very interesting stuff that was up there. Um, <laughs> All right, well, I mean, so, too, you got to remember HTTPS is finally a big thing. It's a norm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes you feel a little bit better. I mean, if someone's actively man in the middle, it's a big issue. But, like, right. you know, in general, like, that's a step in the right direction. We're finally seeing that. Yep. So. And, yeah. and uh, so the, so the, the badge. The badge yeah. stuff. So, I mean, it's not Lost Boy Challenge. It's not Mystery Box Challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, Lost Boy did the badges, the electronic badges this year, and included That's, some games puzzles and that, that type of stuff. was a really cool badge, actually. And it, it, it was. It was um, not without their failures in, in acquisition and so forth. Yeah, how, many, how many people, the big question, you know, every year, how many people attended DEF CON? There's always some range, yep. different answers. How many mm-hmm. badges were printed? Do we know how many badges? Uh, they made <clears throat> 22,000 badges. Wow. And, and they run out every year. And they run out. Yeah. 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 Holy crap. How much yep. do those badges cost at that, you know? At that like, quantity, yeah. right? Because yeah. I'm trying to figure out, like, it's $240 to get in, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking most of that is probably just paying for the taking badge, right? So. Actually, you know, <laughs> if you think about that, you know, 
the board is probably ten bucks if we're talking OSH right. Park, right. and that's a quantity of three. Right. So it's at least <laughs> probably a forty dollar, fifty dollar badge. badge yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you think about quantity and the the Chinese children that are assembling them and all that stuff. Right, right, right. So. And also remember, it's from China, so we assume that it's got it's something. Got something yeah. Yeah. yeah, certified yeah. board by Huawei. Huawei. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, the, so, the, I so thought the, the, the cool thing on the badge that I was reading was uh, the. Uh, Konami code, right? Yeah, oh, that was down. cool. Right. Yes. Yeah, and then there's a little bit of like there's the the sh- uh, you'd have to get it in the light, but there was yep, some the secret silk, with the silk, silk screens. screens yeah. So yeah, all there was multiple puzzles involved in that, which led yeah, into multiple puzzles and multiple puzzles, and and quite honestly, it was really interesting. Some of the the. Um, the challenges that he comes up with for some of the stuff, and some of it's easy, and some of it's not so easy. Like to to me, this one, um, this is the signs. Mm-hmm. They put a bunch of glyphs on signs, mm-hmm. and I just spend months looking at just that. <laughs> like, yeah. what does this yeah. mean? <laughs> but some of the other stuff, you know, uh, looking at some of the way they found that. Um, there were stuff that led to YouTube videos mm-hmm. um, for specific dates, which were tied to certain <laughs> other dates in which songs were released. And then, in order to yeah, reassemble were, one thing, the Reddit you, thread is all about like what happened on all these different dates. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny wow. to read. And then, yeah. like, what songs were released on those dates, and then mm-hmm. you turn that out, and that every one of those songs, that at least in some fashion, every one of those songs that was released on that date was in the movie Grease. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> awesome. they tied to other individual stuff so that for another phrase you actually had to go and which order the songs were played in Greece was the order of the phrases that were recovered to sort of do the next password. <laughs> like Someone put a so lot also, of you know what they should it. have done is like have that little thing where what's that uh, the connected dot things where you have to climb over twister each, twister. Yeah. Yeah. So right. it's it's like Inception <laughs> going like six or seven levels deep, and yeah. it was like, right. oh. and then so then you get that phrase, and then there's another clue that's like you have to remove two of those words, and then that's another clue. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> and then at the bottom of the rabbit hole, you find. Kevin Bacon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. And and, Pretty and, much. and and what's her name? Hold on, hold on. I gotta get it. Uh, Winona Ryder. Just because we Winona don't say her Ryder. name anymore. <laughs> yep. And, and the best. The I, I think the best one that was at, you know my favorite was um, uh, Ryan Lostboy uh, mm-hmm. trolling everyone before the competition even started. <laughs> so people would start looking at his website to see what was changed, and he would and he ended up having a script that would change contents of the website at oh, random wow. intervals. That's awesome. <laughs> and provide <laughs> fake cr- clues, and all of them were end up being red herrings. <laughs> and then you had to text. You had to text someone. Yep, you ended up having to text someone, and uh, apparently they had the numbers wrong in this mm. case, and they texted a whole bunch of people and called a whole bunch of people in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, so, so, so there's actually another party. There was a party my buddy, uh, I was talking about Zach earlier. Hi, Zach. Uh, he's probably texting me saying my, there's a stain on my shirt right now or something. But uh, that they gave out a floppy disk. Yeah. To, and if you have to solve it, you have to have a floppy disk reader. So he went to Walmart, grabbed a floppy to USB. Was the floppy disk? It was the 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 double the the, the high definition three and a half, right? So, oh, three, uh, if it was an eight inch, oh yeah, good luck, right, 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 right. <laughs> if the thing worked once he actually transfers it to you, because you might screw it up and get it right, you know. So so he had the, the Apple IIe had the five and a quarter. Yeah, exactly, right. So uh, and then you had the Xenix ones right now. Yeah. So. Um, so he ends up getting this, and and then I think someone suggested to him to be like, t- tweet that you have a floppy reader, and get like everybody to like 
come over and like, you know, use his and don't even offer a price to say, what will you give me for it? And see what they would offer for it, right? And see where they would go with this, right? And worst case of beer, right? What's the market bear for this reading of it and stuff? But uh, that was a cool invite as well, like a smart one to do. So the the Close Encounters of the Third Kind, one of the final challenges was the page had the title of E.T. and it appeared to be three sets of numbers. We assumed we would get a phone number because of the hint E.T. phone home (laughs) and the fact that there are three number groups. Um, binary to decimal five twelve. The circumference of three sixty and the clock's time is two three four. So five twelve three sixty zero two three four, and they got it wrong because I'm assuming because two thirty four they didn't have the zero, so they started um, calling and texting a bunch of well, numbers. Because it's the middle of the night, they, have, they haven't slept the whole time, and they're, they're like, probably uh, drinking. Yeah, was oh, oh, that, that, this is the number. This is the number. Everyone texts it. Dude, yeah. dude, yeah. dude, that is the true definition of drunk dialing. There, yeah. <laughs> drunk yeah, or yeah. dialing, drunk <laughs> or dialing. <laughs> so step number eight, if they get the number, uh, former apologies to residents of Austin, Texas, for our many late night calls and texts during this phase. <laughs> After several hundred texts, calls, and some technical difficulties were solved we received this message retext tomorrow at 157 for the passcode oh it was at 4 a.m at this point brute force yep <laughs> so, oh, wow. so it was and around which number was it was it this uh, number 0234 so they yep. were right the entire time yep but because of the delay they didn't oh wow <laughs> so what happens if you text the number now Everybody reaches to the phone. Everybody. All the listeners. All the listeners. See what happens. And let us know. We just started. Oh, no. Wait. A lot of listeners will listen while they're jogging. 512-360-0234. So that happens to be an area code for uh, Austin, Texas, which, bummer. Uh, which we're running a little short here on time, so uh, no resp- oh, oh well, yeah, there we go. And that's the that looks like the same one in the yep. Oh, yeah. so you do get the the same thing in the challenge. So yep. okay, probably uh, one epic oh. epic badge challenge. Uh, I wonder if they're using a here. Twilio or like a asterisk box or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but like Paul was saying, we probably should close it out. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I want to thank everyone uh, for listening. Thanks to Lance James for coming on the show this awesome. evening. Being in studio is wonderful to have you, Lance. Thank you for all of your contributions and insight on this show. Larry and Job, thanks as always. We'll see everyone next week on Security Weekly. Larry, take us out. Over. Yeah. Oh, so sticky. <laughs> <laughs> out.